Hello, and welcome to And Let's Be Heard for Friday, January 13th, 2023. I was afraid to say it. Anyone out there afraid of Friday the 13th? Do you believe in this stuff? Do you believe in Friday the 13th? I don't know. I don't really believe in Friday. I don't believe in, you know, superstitious stuff. Look, there's enough real stuff to be afraid of out there, right? I mean, there's enough real things out there, people, issues to be afraid of, real world concerns and dangers that we should not really concentrate on things like fire. Th you know what? You know what really gets me about the number 13 and people's superstition with number 13? You'll go into most apartment buildings like the one I live in that has, you know, more than 12 floors. Or, or a hotel that has more than 12 floors, and it'll be 12, 14, right? As this is, um, this kind of superstition is the same superstition that we saw during COVID. People believe in things like masks, like voodoo, right? So if you're, if the, if the floor after 12 says 14, that makes it 14? No, of course not. It's 13. It's a 13 floor. It's not like the builders skipped a level to make it the 14th level. It's still the 13th level. But they don't use that, and they say 14, and everyone believes the group thing says we're on the 14th floor, right? Now, you might be saying, Mike, what are you talking about? Stop being so picky, you and ridiculous. No, this is the case we are seeing now. It might be funny when it comes to the mind over matter issue of the, of the number 13. But that's basically what we've seen all this time. The last three fucking years is basically voodoo medieval medicine, medieval beliefs. We're still seeing – we see medieval beliefs mostly from the left. Sorry. They're the ones who have done it mostly. We've seen these medieval beliefs when it comes to COVID and how you can cure COVID and how you can make COVID go away. You know, let's talk about the number 13 now that I'm into it. Let's talk about the number 13 and the idea of superstition and the way the superstition has indeed seeped into medicine and science. Well, there are people who believed that a cloth mask full of holes – was going to protect you from getting COVID, right? People believe that. That's like um, medieval medicine. They tried that 100 years ago and 50 million people still died, right? So it didn't work 100 years ago. But you can understand in 1918, medicine was still very, very, at the beginning, the early stages of real medicine. It was really still kind of medieval times when it comes to medicine. And uh, so you can see it, okay, they thought cloth masks uh, we're going to work wearing those cloth masks that many people made at home from like uh, bed sheets and stuff. We're going to prevent you from getting the flu. Didn't work. Third, you know, didn't work. <laughs> didn't, a lot of people died. Um, so that didn't work. And so 100 years later, when you think now people would know better because it's 2020, not 1918. And with the medical advances, people would say, oh, that, you know, that might have fooled them 100 years ago. But no, it fools them again. And that's kind of voodoo stuff, right? That's voodoo medieval medicine, the idea of, of, of hiding indoors. The idea of hiding indoors, it, let's, let's look at it as like the cavemen. That's like the idea of hiding the cavemen hiding in their caves to prevent from getting a virus that's airborne. That's what they would do back then. The cavemen would hide in their caves from something like that. They would think that's the cure. That's the way you prevent from getting it because they didn't know any better because they are cavemen. But yet, here in the year 2020, we acted like cavemen. Well, not not me, not me and you, but many people acted like cavemen. Thinking you could stay inside, 
closed doors, hide, not go out, and the virus would go away. In other words, stay away from each other and the virus would go away. The virus would say, oh, no, they're hiding. We have to go away now. Basically, that's the thought process. That's the ridiculous, retarded, medieval voodoo thought process that people had. And what we're seeing it now with uh, climate change, right? We see people like Ellen DeGeneres showing floods in her area near her million million acre estate, 56,000 square foot home, the mudslides, and saying something like, Mother Nature's mad at us. That's why this happened. So that's that's like... That's like believing in rain dances, right? When you say something that idiotically stupid, moronic, and medieval. Or believing like you can throw a virgin into a volcano, right? That, that's the same fucking thing. So we see these liberals. They're so fucking dumb. I mean, they really are dumb people. Believing in this voodoo medieval medicine. Um, and I remember they used to go after the right. Because there would be people on the right who were moronic and would say something like, God's mad out of, God's killing us because of abortion. You know, we allow abortion, so God, you know, that's equally dumb and, and medieval. And, uh, and I remember the liberals would always make fun of those people. Oh, look how dumb those rednecks are, saying God's mad at us. That's why, remember, they, remember the people on the right, or maybe they might have made this up. At the time, I believed it. Maybe they made it up. People on the right were saying that gays were getting AIDS because God was mad at gays. Right. So it's that kind of medieval stupidity thinking, that fucking Neanderthalic thinking, that scarlet letter mentality that the liberals practice all the time now with everything, even though they used to make fun of people on the right for saying stuff like that for, you know, for deeply religious people who might have said something stupid like that. And now they're doing it with every issue, whether it's a, a virus, a flu, uh, rain, snow, wind. They do it with everything. They do it with everything. And they extended their voodoo into the vaccines. These vaccines were basically like people maybe 200 years ago pissing into a bottle and saying, here, drink this or inject this and it's going to make the bad things go away. All right. We're going to piss into this bottle and you put that piss in your system and the virus will 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 not enter your system. It's basically the same thing because they were totally shit vaccines. They were not developed scientifically the way we know they should be in the 21st century, over years and years and years of testing, over years and years and years of testing. And um, people will say, well, COVID, uh, you know, we, COVID was, a, we weren't expecting it. Well, no, we do expect airborne flus and viruses. That's a normal thing. It wasn't unexpected at all. On top of that, if you're in a situation where you don't have a vaccine for something, too bad. You deal with the, you deal with the problem now. And you develop the vaccine over three, five, eight years. And next time it comes around, maybe it'll work. But you don't rush it out there and put this poison into people. And yes, it's poison. Now we know it's poison. Remember, most of us, or many of us, not most of us, people like me and you, were saying two years ago that this thing was not going to stop the spread. I said it because I knew the vaccine was medieval, medieval voodoo medicine. It wasn't tested. It was rushed out politically. To make it was a mind over matter situation where people believed that they would they believed that they took it, things would go back to normal, right? That was their medieval voodoo mentality. That if we take this piss water, things will go back to normal. So people believed that. And they were so tired of things not being normal, they 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 took the leap of faith. Um the religion. It basically it is faith. It was religion, right? It is still a religion and a cult. So they took it, and most of us knew it wasn't going to work, simply because it wasn't tested the way it should have been. And 
at the very least, it wasn't going to work. And at the very worst, at the very best, it wasn't going to work. At the very worst, it was going to cause things like heart attack, stroke, and blood clots, medium and short-term, short-term and medium-term issue, health issues and long-term issues and maybe death. We were called nuts. We were called wackos. We were called white supremacists. We were called domestic terrorists. We were called Trumpers. We were called uh, anti-vaxxers. Uh, that's flat earthers. We were called all these fucking things by these people who think they're so fucking smart. They're so much smarter than we are. And what happens earlier today, but the CDC comes out and says, you know what? We think these vaccines could be causing strokes. You know what? There have been way too many strokes from people who've taken the vaccine. There have been many too, way too many like 18-year-olds getting a fucking stroke. Oh, my God, there might be something wrong with these vaccines. So the CDC is finally after over two years of poisoning people, over two years of killing people, have said maybe these vaccines should not have been put in people's arms. And those of us two years ago who were on Twitter or Facebook, whoever it may have been, were canceled, deleted, banned, destroyed, if we said this two years ago, if we said this January of 2021. We were banned, we were destroyed, we were humiliated. And I don't give a shit about myself, but there were real doctors out there like like Peter McCullough, like Rob Malone, who were saying this. And then a little bit later on in the process, Jay Bhattacharya and Marty McCarry and Vinay Prasad and real doctors who were destroyed and censored. And as we know from the Twitter files, tags were put on their accounts, so no one saw any information they were trying to get out there to the people. The sound I hear in my head, the sound I want to hear very, very soon, is the sound of that jail cell door slamming behind people. That nice sound that I heard when I went to Alcatraz and they showed us, they displayed the sound, they demonstrated the sound of those jail cell doors closing. At the time, I thought, wow, this is chilling. But now it actually gets me stimulated, excited, thinking about people like Fauci and Walensky and Redfield and Burks and all those people having those jail cell doors slammed behind them. It makes me, it gives me life, it gives me energy, it gives me a reason for living. Because that's what needs to happen. That's what needs to happen. Because they'll pretend now that they had, oh, we had no idea. The test didn't show this. We had the interests of the greater good and the masses at, at heart. And we didn't know this was going to happen. And don't you notice that clause that we have no criminal liability or, or, or civil liability for anything that might have happened to people? Don't you see that there? But we had our hearts in the right place. Mr. and Mrs. American, don't you believe us? We had our hearts in the right place. We didn't know. We didn't know any of this. I mean, even our disabled, brain-addled leader said in August of 2021... That if you get these vaccines, you're not going to get COVID. 
And even that scumbag, big farmer whore who killed gay men by the thousands, by the hundreds of thousands in the 1980s and 90s said that these viruses cover all of the variants. And you're not going to get it or spread the virus. You're not going to get it or spread it if you get these vaccines. And any side effects are so minimal and small. We shouldn't even talk about them because it's conspiracy theory when you start talking about it. Because it's so it's so infinitesimal. The negative side effects are so infinitesimal. That if you talk about it, you're just trying to be an anti-vaxxer. Here's an anti-vaxxer. Uh, you listen to um, your Trump supporter who listens to conspiracy theorists on the radio and podcasts, conspiracy theory podcasts, and Alex Jones. This is what they said. This is what they said. And they must pay for it now. Look, they simply must pay for it. Like I have said over and over again, with crime comes punishment, right? With crime comes punishment. So there were crimes committed against humanity. There were crimes committed. There's no difference in my mind, and I don't care how extreme it sounds or how much anyone would argue against it. There's no crime. There's no, there's no doubt in my mind that these vaccine companies, remember, and when I say companies, you see, it's very easy. I think we had talked about this earlier in the week on this show, you know, corporations are people. So when I say companies, it's so vague. People are like, well, who? So I really shouldn't say companies anymore. I should, I should name names, right? I should name names. When Fauci and, and Walensky, and uh, Hotek and all those people put jabs into people's arms, forced policy to make it mandated, told people they need to do this to protect themselves and their loved ones. When they put that poison in people's arms, it is no different than those Nazi prison guards herding Jews and gays into the gas chambers. It's the exact same thing. If that's too hard for you to comprehend, if that's too difficult a pill for you to swallow, I, I, all I can say is too bad. Because it is the exact same thing in a different form. Not every form. These geniuses out there, and of course I say geniuses sarcastically, not every form is going to come in the, not every atrocity is going to come in the form of a guy with a little pencil mustache, little mustache, Hurting people into, into gas chambers. Okay, that's not, that's not the only kind of atrocity that can ever happen. And no two atrocities are ever alike. Once an atrocity happens, we then watch out for it again, right? We're ready for it the next time. But there's a new atrocity that we may not be ready for. Like the one we've just seen over the past two years. Like the one we have seen over the past two years. Now, the thing about the CDC, the, the absolute hilarious, and I say that sarcastically too, if you couldn't tell, is that the CDC now says, 
There's been enough reports of people taking COVID-19 vaccines and having a stroke that they'll now open a formal investigation. What, into themselves? In what normal fucking world does an entity get to investigate itself? You know the old joke. We investigated ourselves and we found no wrongdoing. Where's Merrick Garland appointing a special prosecutor for this? There needs to be a special prosecutor for this as well. And believe me, this is a million and one times more important than these document, classified document garbage. This is where the special prosecutor needs to be investigating what happened from the earliest stages in late in 2019 till now. That's what we need. A special prosecutor, not the fucking CDC investigating itself in this Joe Biden clown car world we live in. Only in a fucking brain-addled, loser, fucking 120-year-old, at least that's what he acts like, Joe Biden clown car world. Do we get to see the CDC investigating themselves? The CDC should not be investigating themselves. That's the first uh, step in this process. That's the first step in this process. Is to have a special prosecutor, someone on the outside, look into what happened. Because we certainly can't trust the CDC. Now, that's the thing about the CDC. And you're telling me that there are still morons in this country. There are still morons in this country who will trust what the CDC says. There are still morons in this country who will believe what the CDC says. After all this, after all this, they will be convinced that the CDC is simply doing their job now. Oh, they, oh, they found this. Oh, they found this two, two, they found this 26 months after the first jabs were put in people's arms. They found this 26 months later and they're investigating it. They're doing their job. They found it 26 months later after how many fucking billions of people have been jabbed and they're investigating themselves. There are morons out there, mostly on the left, mostly liberal, left liberal morons, shit libs who will believe the CDC after everything they've lied about for three fucking years. Everything they've lied about for three years. And there will still be morons on the left who will take their advice. There will still be morons on the left who take their advice when they say, in uh, in this 25-mile radius, we have 26 cases per square unit, and everyone should wear a mask. There's still people who take this ridiculous, medieval, voodoo science advice from this agency that is corrupt. This is why they cannot investigate themselves. I'm calling on Merrick Garland to, to appoint a special prosecutor to find out what happened from late 2019 till today. What happened with these vaccines from inception to the last fucking person who was just jabbed yesterday? You want to prosecute, you want to, you want to point to a special prosecutor for something that really matters? For something that caused injuries and deaths to millions of people? This is it. Not whether a fucking president or former president wiped his ass with a document from six fucking years ago. Who gives a shit? Daniel, it's your job to calm me down.
I don't know if I'm going to be much help there tonight. Um, Greg doesn't realize. Greg is having a burst of blood vessel. Greg doesn't realize. I want everyone to realize this. This is actually good for my blood pressure. People don't realize that. When, when I let this out, you know, it's very bad for your blood pressure. It's very bad for your insides to keep things in. You, you're a scientist. That's true, Daniel, right? I think it's always healthy to express your emotions if they are um, if they do not lead you to do something illegal. <laughs> uh, no promises. <laughs> no, no promises. At this point, Daniel, I'm sorry. I can't I can't give any promises to that. But it does make me feel better. So that's all that really matters. Yeah. There's two big things that happened today. Um, in the news, um, there's a lot of big things that happened, but you, you mentioned one when the CDC um, investigating incidents of, uh, of stroke after vaccination. We will see what comes of that. Um, they've already got a, a really bad track, rec track record of investigating themselves, but we will see what comes of that. One thing that's a, that's as a, um, that happened today was huge was um, Robert F. Kennedy's uh, organization, uh, Children's Health Defense. I was the, just gonna, in fact, I'll read that later. Thank you for saying okay, that. Okay, okay. Then, then I won't get into that, but that was a big, huge legal thing that happened today. And the um, other big thing that happened today, maybe intent to get into this too, was Leanna Wen. Um, some of you probably remember Leanna Wen. She's been all over the news. Um, yeah, the I know. She's been all over the news for the last three years. Yeah. Yeah, over the last three years, uh, being one of the main uh, provocateurs of the pan hysteria. And she recently started changing her tune about two months ago. Lana Wynn is, I think, the uh, public health official of, of Baltimore. Um, for some reason, she's been uh, a, a big um, presence in the media. And um, she started changing her tune about uh, two months ago, I think. Well, I think it was in response to her children. Yeah, the children, children being masked. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and so now she's trying to change. Now she's changing her tune. And she wrote a op-ed in Washington Post today, which um, basically admits to the overestimation of COVID deaths and hospitalizations and um, quotes a number of experts. <laughs> I hate saying that word experts, but they truly are in this case that are saying that probably um only 10 to 30 percent. Remember, remember, my guess before was probably going to be around 40 percent, probably 10 to 10 to 30 percent of the um, those that have been counted as deaths or hospitalizations will actually be due to COVID rather than incidental SARS-CoV-2 finding on on um on, uh, on testing when they entered the hospital from an with antigen tests. And this, this is, you know, there's one of these things I harp on a lot that's really important and has caused a lot of confusion and uh, um, uh, because of not just getting these simple words right, and that is the distinction between a SARS-CoV-2, an infection or exposure, and COVID. COVID is a disease. SARS-CoV-2, infection exposure, is not a disease. You only have a disease when you have symptoms. So when they talk about deaths with where there's deaths from, that's what they're basically talking about. I mean, you're talking about someone just getting an incidental uh, uh, antigen test, positive antigen just for SARS-CoV-2 when they're admitted to the hospital for some entirely different reason and they die or they remain hospitalized for a while. Um, that's that's not COVID. They don't have COVID, even though they keep saying in the media that, you know, these are, you know, they're just saying these people have COVID. No, they don't, unless not unless they have symptoms. And most of these people that are admitted to hospital and they're called COVID deaths never had symptoms from COVID. 
They just had a positive SARS-CoV-2 test. And, and, that, that, and that distinction between the two things was purposely muddled by the media in order to create fear. And if this distinction would have been clearer and kept clear from the very beginning, fear would have been much abated. Um, so this is the reason I've harped on this for, for forever. Um, it, it's, you know, better late than never, I wish I could say, but in this case, it's not. Um, if, if indeed it looks like there was at most um, uh, 30% of those deaths that have been reported by the CDC to be COVID deaths, if 30% of them actually are, then we're talking about a bad a bad flu season, a typical bad flu season, yeah. as opposed to some earth-shattering okay. pandemic. Yeah, I think, Daniel, I, I think we're, I, I get you, and we've talked about this many times. I think we need to actually transition now from the numbers of deaths from COVID to the numbers of injuries and deaths from the COVID vaccine. I really, I really think that's, that's where we're on now. We're not in a pandemic anymore if we ever were. So I, I think the pandemic now is the COVID vaccine. Remember, there's still... <laughs> advertising these vaccines on television here. They're still telling parents that they're six week old to get a fucking jab in their little arm. They're still talking about this stuff. So the only way we stop this, the only way we stop them dead in their tracks, look, people give us credit for what happened today in the CDC. Now, it's not just the CDC. It's, um, uh, it was on BBC, British BBC, big time BBC television. They finally had a doctor come on who talked about this same thing how these vaccines are poison and causing injury and death and stroke and myocarditis and heart attacks in young people. And we're seeing all these young people and celebrities dying in record numbers. That's now being actually out there in some aspects of the legacy mainstream media. So I think a, a lot of what we're doing is working as far as getting the real information out to the people, right? Breaking through the um, radio waves that the legacy media is able to control so much and uh, it's uh, reminds me of that scene at the end of. Have you ever seen the movie They Live with Rowdy Roddy Piper? And uh, at the end of that movie, they 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 destroy the tower where they're brainwashing everyone with messages. <laughs> they destroy the tower. In a way, we're starting to destroy that tower where they're brainwashing people with messages, and we're taking over that tower. And I think that's the important part. I think that's I think I, I really think that's where we go from here. Look, I, everything you say is we, valid. We, don't, we need to, we need to do both. We need to do both. And we needed to have been doing both the whole time. Both are important. And the fact that these deaths were overestimated to the degree they were. And like I said, if it's 30 percent of, of what the, the, the CDC has been giving it as numbers, um, that's just a bad flu season. If it's 10 percent, like some physicians are saying. Um, then that's far worse. Now, now, granted that some of them, that 10% number came from some that were talking about um, the, the, the stats after, uh, vac after vaccination. So, there, so some of them may be saying that uh, after the vaccine became available, that only 10% of the hospitalization and then deaths that they're seeing and attributed to COVID are actually due to COVID. And they may be telling us that the numbers had changed between pre-vaccine and post-vaccine. It's really difficult to believe that. And, and, and I've gone over the reasons for that in the past, and that has to do with the fact that most everybody already had natural immunity by, by the time 30% of our population was vaccinated. Um, so there's not a whole lot of good reason to believe that interpretation of these numbers. But if it's 10%, 
then that is a typical flu season. If it's 30%, then it's a bad flu season. So we lock people down. We force them to get vaccinations we, when the absolute risk to them was next to zero. Well, while the CDC harped incessantly on relative risk, and this is something that is so important that every medical student is taught, you do not overemphasize relative risk when absolute risk is so small. If I was to tell you that you had a one in eight billion chance of getting a particular disease, but if you took such and such a drug that you had, it was 100% effective, would you give that drug to every person on the planet? No, it did because relative efficacy matters nothing compared to the fact that it is so unlikely you would get disease. And why does it matter so little? Because there are costs associated with giving that. Not Even if it was entirely safe, there is still cost. It actually costs money. You're depriving people of, of, of funds that they could have spent elsewhere. For what? In a, a, a one in eight billion chance of getting something. So absolute risk actually means something. I, I extrapolated to an extreme just to show everybody that absolute, miss, absolute risk needs to be balanced against relative risk. When absolute risk is low, relative risk matters almost for nothing. It, it doesn't matter what the risk-benefit ratio is when your absolute risk of getting something is so small. And what these numbers that are coming out now with respect to overestimation of COVID deaths are telling us is that the absolute risk was even smaller than we thought. So for a healthy person, even even using the CDC's pre previous numbers of somewhere upwards of a million now deaths over three years, even with those numbers for healthy people, given what we know about this disease and given how how what we know about risk um, risk factors. And we know that people who are healthy have a very, 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 very small chance of, of dying from this. For example, 99% of all deaths uh, from COVID had at least, at least one on average chronic disease. Well, if you have zero chronic diseases, then you're down into a range that is less than the deaths, probably one quarter of the deaths from slip and falls every year. That's that's a number that we should not be concerned about in turning our society up and down. That's that's a absolute risk that is extremely small. But they sold these vaccines to everybody based on relative risk. That was obscene. And so we do need to get the overestimations uh, right. And, and we need to educate the, the population about how these estimates are made. I remember listening to someone on NPR, this was in, in 2020, mid-2020, and it sent me through the fucking roof when I heard one of the NPR um, interviewers that was interviewing some public health official, and the interviewer said, well, this, this is different. This, this, you know, COVID is different than influenza because we're counting these deaths in real time. And the CDC, the public health person, did not disagree with them. That's not what we do. That it was never what has been done. What has happened with COVID is no different with respect to counting the deaths than what has happened with influenza. They have preliminary numbers that come out, and it takes years for statisticians and clinicians and people that do this for a living to go over those deaths and determine which were actually due to that infection and not. And so they revise these numbers, and they're almost always revised down dramatically. And you can go to the CDC if you just Google CDC uh, historical and uh, influenza, you will come to a page 
that will show you the uh, CDC, CDC's uh, influenza death number for the last 10 years. And you'll find an asterisk at the bottom of that. And it will say that they still, after five years, they are still not official numbers. And it gives a huge confidence at 95% confidence range on these things. It is no different for COVID. But people have been pretending that this tally that, that the CDC has been running up is actually the, the number of deaths due to COVID. Putting aside the fact of, of, of COVID with and COVID from, that the people actually believe these numbers had something to do with COVID, that they were never going to be revised downward, that they were going to be revised at all. They were actually counting something in real time. We weren't. We never did. And yes, we, and, and yes, we should have been counting um, the um, uh, adverse effects from from the beginning and been taking them more seriously. The fact that there weren't is fucking criminal. And when people start going away for being put in jail for what happened in these last three years, that is primarily what they're going to be put in jail for is for downplaying this F, the safety of these fucking things. Well, you can yeah. tell you can tell that I'm as pissed as you are right now, Mike, because you're not going to shut me up easily. <laughs> no, it's fine. I, I, I'm, you know, I'm all for it. Look, the fact of the matter is, is that <laughs> this was also predictable. This was also predictable, Daniel. We said, it was also predictable because we had the roadmap from swine flu in 2009, and it read like an mm-hmm. exact blueprint for what they did in 2019, except for they right. did it all over the U.S. instead of just in Europe. And they did it with, with a magnitude increase of about well, with, with an order of magnitude increase in their veracity with with creating hysteria and the yeah. and the the, uh, the the props of masks and and, and to, to, to do that and and lockdown was essentially a prop too to to terrify people into getting a vaccine to getting this medical product and it's yeah. Heads need to roll. We won't have a gallow. We don't have a gallows big enough at this point. We, we certainly don't. We don't. We don't. We don't have a gallow. We don't. We don't have a guillotine. I think that can handle that many heads because this is this is really, you know, it, it's so egregious. And of course, as we know more and more about these Twitter files and the way people were censored and real doctors were censored, we're seeing a, a collaboration here. We're seeing a collusion. We're seeing a. They, this is like a real collusion. We're seeing a real collusion of what I had said from day one. I said this from day one, that it's a it's a it's a it's a collusion of big tech, and big pharma, and big government. I said that, and big media. I said that from day one, and now we're seeing more and more and more, more and more and more. We're seeing that that's exactly what it was. It wasn't just one or two people. It wasn't just the industry of big pharma. It wasn't just big tech. It wasn't just from the government. It was a collusion of all of them. So this goes so deep and far. And I know that can sound overwhelming. People can be like, well, where do we start? You know, I, I talk about the, the, the top names going to prison, Fauci, Walensky. The, but there are, there are others. There are other people who allowed this. There are other people who allowed misinformation to flourish. And real information to be censored and and uh, and deleted. We we so this goes so far and deep that it's going to take a while. But that's fine. It's going to take a while. That's fine. Look how long it's taking to prosecute a guy who killed four people in Idaho. Right? It took it took two months to find him. The trial's not going to be till the summer. What do they say? The wheels of justice turn slowly. 
But yes. let me tell you something. Let me tell you something. So this goes so much far further and deeper than a, a simple crime. This is far and deep, and we need real investigations, which is why I said, yes, the Republicans need to do hearings. The Republicans need to do committees. However, there's no way in hell that the CDC can be allowed to do their own internal investigation, their own investigation to the jabs that they promoted, that they've made so much money off of, that their best friends have become billionaires. That cannot be allowed. It simply can't be allowed. And I'm going to be on this. This will be my new thing. This will be Mike's new thing to have get Merrick Garland, just the way he was pressured into appointing a, a prosecutor for the Biden stuff. There needs to be a special prosecutor appointed to investigate what happened with these vaccines. OK, and whether it's the, w, the CDC or the NIH or whatever it may be, there needs to be investigations and there needs to be someone from the outside who's not biased to do it. Otherwise, we're not going to get a real investigation. We already know that we had people like Francis Collins, director of the NIH, and Fauci, director of the NIAID, communicating directly with Facebook, Twitter, and other social media sites to tell them to throttle down people like Jay Bhattacharya, Aaron Carriotti, et cetera, et cetera. We know this from depositions that have been taken by the lawyers that are, uh, filed the suit, Missouri versus Biden, um, the people from that we talked about from the New Civil Liberties Alliance. That case is progressing. That is going to be a gigantic bomb. We also know from some of the Twitter file release that Rob Flaherty, who is the appointed digital strategy director in the White House, Joe Biden's White House, that this son of a bitch was calling up Twitter and Facebook and sending them t uh, uh, emails and threatening them to throttle down uh, certain particular actors that people that were not violating any of the terms of agreement of any of those social media websites. No terms of agreement violations whatsoever. Twitter would admit to that. The Flaherty would beat them and beat them and beat them to death with his emails until they relented and started throttling down these accounts or entirely banning them. This is such a huge violation of the of our First Amendment. It is the most egregious violation of our First Amendment that one could imagine in any age, in this age, in this age where our communications go through, our personalized communications go through this wonderful thing called the Internet. I think it's still wonderful that allows us to, to, to all communicate over the entire globe and allows us to be, all be censored over the entire globe for this to happen at this time this is the most this is the worst imaginable violation of uh, the first amendment that our founders could have possibly imagined and when they were thinking about this they had to have been thinking about this at the level of a a single newspaper they would never in their mind would have thought about some sort of communication device that every single person on this planet could have access to and, and media that every, every person on this planet could have had access to in their pocket and that our government was going to intervene into what these devices can and cannot tell us. They never in their wildest imaginations could have imagined the egregiousness of this First Amendment offense. No, of course not. Absolutely not. There's no there's no doubt about it. There's no doubt about it. But we cannot allow what, what they will try to do now, because now all this evidence is coming out and it's getting it's slipping into the mainstream media, all the stuff we've talked about for two years now. 
we can't allow the ignorant the ignorance defense, right? Like the Biden is trying to claim ignorance on his documents, right? We can't allow the ignorance defense. Where where one person, you know, you know what the defense is, right? Where one person points the finger at the other person, right? And that person points the finger at the other person. Well, no, this I only I only promoted the vaccine because this person told me it was good, safe, and effective. And that person says, no, well, it was that person who said it was not my fault, and it's never anyone's fault. That's the Daniel. That's what they're going to try to do. Just from the very beginning, that they had an escape hatch plan from the very beginning. They had that they, you know, like I said, they they honed a lot of of this from the 2009 swine flu flu pandemic. Anyone out there listening to this should go back and read the 2010 article written under Spiegel called Reconstruction of Mass Hysteria. And you will learn from this that we have been here before. And 2019 is that on steroids. And they learned a lot about how they can manipulate us in 2009. And they put that knowledge into play in 2019. And they manipulated the hell out of us. And they stole from us. And we had the biggest shift in income upward. In the, in, in upward, that is shifting of money to the higher socioeconomic groups in, around the world than any time ever in our history. And people from all rungs of so, the socioeconomic status played along with this. They played along. They essentially rooted for their own rape or their neighbor's rape. This physical physical violation of our bodies through forced vaccination and forced masking and locking us down cannot be, to call it rape is an understatement. And also, not just, yes, it is an understatement, but... It went on for three years. Right, right, right. It went on for three. And it's still going on. In many aspects, it's still going on, right? In many aspects. Look, this this Biden administration. We still have a state of emergency. I was going to say, the Biden administration just extended the state of emergency again. But, Daniel, this time they promised come the spring, it will go away. Oh, they promised, Daniel. We have had a state of emergency. Yeah, I know. I know. At both the state and the federal levels, state of states of emergencies, and those states of emergencies haven't changed the course of this not so-called all. pandemic. Not one, bit. one iota, not, not one, one bit. bit. Right. And yet they persist. And they and these states of emergencies do nothing but trample our our I was gonna say God given rights, but I'm not a theist, but they trampled our rights as given to us in the articles of the constitution. But they yeah, have done you know, no they, good. They, they, not they one bit of good. Not one yeah. iota of good have they done. They've yeah, only they, done right. harm. Mm-hmm. But you know, I would say that. You know, I always, I always sometimes uh, get turned off when they say uh, rights aren't given by the government; they're given by God. But in a way, that's kind of true, right? Because we can look at our constitution and say they give us these rights. But there are other countries that don't have that, and those people, I believe, still have the same rights we have or should have. So it really does come from a higher order. It comes, it comes you know, from it comes, a sense. It comes, it comes from just from being a human morality, being, right? Right. It comes hazard, from just being a human. You're born as a human being into these freedoms, I believe. Regardless well, you're born a human being, yeah. and they have a good understanding of what moral hazard is, and they have a good understanding of how that moral hazard um, uh, um, interacts um, with um, governmental systems and how it can amplify that moral hazard. They had lots of experience. The framers of a constitution, despite the fact that them, they were all very young men. 
for the most part, except for maybe Ben Franklin. Right, um, he's the oldest one. He was that they old. Had, they had tremendous experiences from from these gigantic, what was it, East Indian Trading Company or West India, whatever it was, and and, and how these these corporations um, started controlling government and, and created this early fascism. Um, before Mussolini, there was fascism in the UK, and that fascism was through these huge trading companies that they had militaries that were bigger than the UK's, and mm. um, they basically took over the government. And that's what our founders had experience with. And, and so, you know, these, yeah, our rights are given to us um, legally by the articles of our constitution, but there is underlying this, underlying all these rights that are given in, in liberal uh, uh, countries. Uh, and by liberal, I mean, in the uh, decent sense of the word, not the uh, Democrat uh, brand of a liberal, which is, Actually, illiberalism illiberalism nowadays, but these rights were uh, given given to us by virtue of our understanding of moral hazard, and yep. our founders understood it very well and how it, and government uh, could amplify that hazard. Absolutely, absolutely. There's there's no doubt about it. But as I've said, the the yes, there are positive things happening. This is now finally leaking out into the mainstream media, the CDC has, because of our volume of, 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 of complaint, of talking, of getting it out there, has had to at least, you know, uh, kind of acknowledge it now. And yes, uh, you know, as we'll talk about in a bit, the, you know, the uh, lawsuits are going through, winning a lot of lawsuits. But I still think there are just way too many people. And this is, of course, the pessimist in me, which I am at heart a pessimist, is that there are just way too many people who just will refuse to see the light. And I, 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 I've said this before, and um, I was actually blocked by someone on Twitter, probably a fake account anyway, it doesn't matter. But I said, you don't, meaning the person I was talking to, they don't want to admit, they were poo-pooing the idea of, of the vaccines causing any serious injuries or death. And I said, look, you don't want to admit that you did something that can harm you, or you don't want to admit that loved ones or family members or friends did something that can harm you. That's that's the that's that's for, that's justifiable psychologically. It's understandable from a psychological point of view. But how long are you just going to deny? How long are these people just going to deny reality? And my feeling is they'll deny reality forever. There's gonna Somewhere. Be a, a, yeah, there's, there's going to be a good chunk, though, Daniel, of, of, of society. Of eventually, eventually they would they would admit it, but only to themselves. It, it'll you be mean, much it'll be much like Nazi Germany. Where, where um, that, you know, there's the so-called good Germans and, and, and shortly after the war, they were saying, oh, you know, we didn't know this was going on. And, and then there will be those that knew it was going on, but were saying that they're only following orders. And then there would be the ones that were giving the orders, et cetera. And then, you know, and there will also be the people at the, you know, Joe, Joe and Jane Blow. Um, I don't know how you say that in German, but they'll be, <laughs> um, but they'll, you know, at the, at the bottom. And um, and and they'll be the ones that will, you know, if they if they went along with it to any degree, they'll be the ones that will be wrestling with it with their conscience forever. And maybe some of them will admit to their friends and families that it was a huge mistake. And 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 some won't. And it'll take time. But then eventually the entire society will be saying, as they do now in Germany, yes, it was a awful thing. We do not understand well, we better understand now the psychology of this um, mass hysteria that can grip a society and, uh, and, and get so carried away with this. Ironically, Germany 
it's just like so many other um, Western countries got just as carried away with COVID as everybody else. Uh, yeah, I mean, there were a lot of countries that did, you know, and but this, the excess death thing we're seeing now is all over the world. We're seeing excess deaths in a lot of places. You're seeing excess deaths in Sweden. You know, there's a lot of countries that are experiencing this increase in, in excess deaths and more, excess mortality. So, you know, once again, you can only you can only do the, you know, hear no evil, speak no evil, see no evil thing like the monkey with the hands over the eyes and ears and mouth so long before it's right up in front of your face. Right. And I think it's going to come from. Well, I believe a big part of it is when celebrities like Presley die. Right. Lisa Marie Presley, when, when things like that happening, when big names and, you know, that whole idea of someone in their 50s who's a male who's otherwise healthy, just having a heart attack and dying is, is kind of rare. But for a woman, it's incredibly rare, incredibly rare for a woman, a healthy woman of 54 to all of a sudden just drop dead. No, um, no, no, my, my, my kids, it's not incredibly rare. <laughs> Lots of 54, especially in this obesity pandemic, it happens way too frequently. But, but Lisa Marie um, Presley is not, was not obese. Not obese what's person. that? Lisa Marie Presley is not an obese. I understand obesity. No, I know. I'm saying it, 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 no, it, it's not a rare of It's not a common occurrence for 54 year old women to get heart attacks and die. It's not a no, common it's occurrence. Very, it's, it's a very common occurrence. I, in, in, what, in the United States, it's, it's quite common for 54 year old women to have heart attacks and die. But you know, but you're talking about what you're talking about people with, with, with pre existing conditions usually most of the time. Yeah, yep, yep, stuff, yep, right? but that's why I'm saying that's that's why it's common because we have no, a no, but I'm saying I, I understand, but I'm saying I'm saying otherwise healthy. There were no reports. Yeah, no, 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 no. I I, I right. realize that. Yeah, I would right. agree with you. I would agree with you in a, in an otherwise healthy human being that is of normal body weight, doesn't have diabetes, was never a smoker, um, never a drinker. I don't know what uh, what Presley's uh, health record was, but if they were a healthy person like that, then yeah, you wouldn't expect at age fifty four for for. But in our country in general, with obesity at forty two percent, yeah, I know. And, but we're, and, we're and one tenth things, of our population, right? right. But we're one, seeing these things happen. I understand, but we're yeah. seeing these things happen in countries like Sweden, where they don't have the kind of obesity we have here. Well, they don't have diabetes the way we have well, here. Sweden's yeah. probably around 30% at obesity. We're about 42% at obesity. I've, um, never seen a, they, I I've never seen a fat Swede in my life. No. Nah, well, well, check the stats. You'll, you'll see that, that I'm right. Um, but the uh, Sweden, their um, excess, excess mortality is one of the lowest across the globe right now. And the reason, reason is, is because they, they didn't have the fallout from the COVID policy. They didn't have people staying home and avoiding hospitals. They didn't have people not getting their vaccinations or childhood vaccinations. They didn't have people um, wearing, uh, the, well, fuck the mask. I don't even want to talk about that stuff. But all the consequences, the immunity debt that is being paid right now in, in the U.S., they didn't have to pay that immunity debt in Sweden. They went about with their daily lives. So they they are one of the, they have one of the overall we're talking about excess deaths, COVID, everything put put together. They have one of the lowest rates. I think it's the second lowest of, of uh, Western uh, countries um, across the globe. The second second lowest, and I can't remember what the what the most what the lowest is. So we Sweden, huge success success story. We should have followed them from the very beginning. They essentially did what the Great Barrington Declaration did. And the Great Barrington Declaration was really no more than what we have always done for pandemics and epidemics.
Well, what we're seeing now, um, I, I saw one report, there was a whopping 50,000 excess deaths in Britain last year. Among the worst has been over. Oh, yeah. Century. They locked they locked them pretty good there. And they, well, they, they uh, I know, but they're suddenly dying from heart problems. And over that's last year. It's not 2020. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah, last yeah. Year. It's they, 2022. They, it's not 2020 or 2021. It's 2020. Yeah. So it's not it's in other words, it's post vaccine, not pre vaccine is what I'm saying. So yeah, and, yeah. And that's and that's what the CDC is seeing a lot of or being forced to see a lot of is yeah. that people are getting these heart attacks, strokes, myocarditis, blood clots within a certain period of time. After getting the vaccine, usually within a year, I believe Lisa Marie Presley got the vaccine. Ten, she got it late. She got it like 10 months ago, I believe. Um, so we're seeing a lot of these stories. You know, I, look, I'm not one to like I know that with the, with, the, with the Covidians like to do, they like to put up a story of someone who didn't get the vaccine and they died and they make fun of it, blah, blah, it's bullshit. But I also see that, you know, so I, I'm not I'm not one to like pick up these stories of people who put on their Twitter feed. I'm so glad I got the vaccine. And then we find out six months later they died of a heart attack at 33. It doesn't yeah, seem to be happening often enough, but I'm not I don't I don't really want to promote that as though it's a it's a thing to be proud of or a thing to laugh at or, th- you know, or things to ride. But there are a lot of there's, there's too much now for things to be things to be a coincidence a couple of times. But once this keeps happening where people are getting the jab, getting the jabs and within a year later, six months, or a year later, they're getting heart attack strokes, people who up until that point in their lives did not have any of these issues. Did not have any yeah. heart attacks or strokes or pre-existing conditions, and all of a sudden they're dying. We're seeing eighteen to twenty-five year olds dying, and it's not just from it's not from COVID, it's not from suicide, it's not from fentanyl, although it is those three things. The last two things we're seeing them just dying, not waking up, perfectly healthy teenagers. And so, you know, and, and we yeah. and you know that that does happen. But what 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 we are learning today, and what the CDC finally admitted today, is that we have signals that are rising to points of concern. And today, they've admitted in the past with respect to myocarditis, and that continues to be investigated. And now they're admitting it with respect to stroke. And the common factor in all of this is spike protein uh, mm. causing severe inflammation in some mm-hmm. people in the endometrial lining of blood vessels. Mm-hmm. And, the, mm-hmm. and the endometrial lining is a, is a single layer of, layer of cells that surround the interior of your heart, your, all your blood vessels, et cetera, et cetera. Um, they have tight junctions in them that, that prevent things from just, you know, flowing, flowing off into tissues, you know, willy nilly. Um, they have to be exchanged across them with, with certain energetic mechanisms, mechanisms that take energy and especially tight junctions in the brain, et cetera. Um, but we now have evidence as of a couple of weeks ago that spike protein, isolated spike protein, that is spike protein that doesn't have nuclear capsid touched on it, which would be the case from an actual virus. So we have isolated spike protein with no nucleocapsid attached to it that has been isolated in patients that have had various types of endothelial disease. And this is this this research was made uh, was published about it was about two weeks ago or so. And before that, the 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 uh, covidian nuts were all saying, oh, yeah, well, there's spike protein that's being found in the blood. But that's 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 due to the virus. You guys, you know, telling us, hey, you idiots, right, yeah. the, 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 the virus has spike protein on, on it too, you morons. Well, people, <laughs> but this is spike protein detected without the nuclear capsid. So it's not, it's not a viral spike protein. This is spike protein produced by these vaccines. And, and so, you know, hopefully that's going to shut those idiots up that keep on saying that it's uh, that it's um, what we might call endogenous uh, 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 spike protein. No, 
it's exogenous. They introduced that spike through protein via these vaccines. And yeah, and now we have signals that are rising, signals that are rising to, uh, to be concerning, both of stroke and both of myocarditis. Um, I just hope that those in the CDC that have gone along with the um, this is provocation of panisteria for whatever reason they have done it. Those that have been captured by the pharmaceutical industry. I hope that at that, this late date that they develop the conscience that they should have had all along and report accurately and investigate to the degree that it needs to be both the strike stroke issue, the endocarditis issue, the um, abnormal menses that women have. Um, there's a whole number of, of adverse effects that have been noted, and this needs to be dealt with and, 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 and like saying, these, open these, and transparent. Yeah, yeah, and and everybody increase, has access to the yeah. data, not just right. the fucking CDC. Right, and the increase in adverse effects in, in athletes and young athletes, obviously, for most of those cases, you're going to rule out the things you talked about in this country, like diabetes and obesity. These are some of the most finely tuned people we've seen soccer players having we've seen many more soccer players having adverse effects and strokes and dropping out dead enough football players we're seeing it from athletes so we can't really use the obesity or the pre-existing condition stuff with them so it look there's a problem there's, you have to be blind to not see there's a problem and there's you you don't have to be of the mind where everything is caused by the vaccine just like you could you shouldn't be of the mind that every covid death was caused by covid but to not look into this stuff, to pretend it doesn't exist at all, is the problem. That's the problem. Exactly. And that's all the problem. people are saying that exactly. like Peter McCullough is, is look into this stuff, do autopsies, have independent autopsies. And I'm saying you have to have an independent person looking at what's going on with the CDC. You cannot have the CDC investigating themselves. It's not going to work. You know what's going to happen. They're going to come out and say, oh, it's uh, there wasn't enough of a connection or it was minor. Uh, let's move on to the next jab. You know that's going to happen. Yep. They can't investigate themselves. Yep. You can't. Is the CDC, I, I think I told you once that um, my Ph.D. advisor told me, never fall in love with your ideas. You should be the first one when you propose any sort of hypothesis. You should be the first one that also provides 10 ways in which you could be wrong. This is, isn't what the CDC has been doing. At least we don't we have have no confidence that they have been doing that all along. Instead, what we have been getting is this unified front from the CDC that's been that's been nothing but propaganda. It's nothing but propaganda. And these these are people that fell in love with this idea of this vaccine. They shouldn't have done that. And no real scientist does that. Every real scientist should be the, their biggest critic, their own biggest critic. Absolutely. No doubt, no doubt about it. Dan, let me let you go. I'm going to read the Children's Health Defense. That's Health Defense. my high point. See yeah. you later. <laughs> You got it. Thanks for calling. All right. Yeah. So in, in keeping in line with what we've been talking about um, with the CD, with, you know, I guess it's a Friday. It's no longer, let's see, in one minute. It's no longer Friday the 13th. It's now really Saturday the 14th. So <laughs> um, I think we should be a little bit uh, optimistic. And as Daniel was talking about, you know, we, we do have the CDC finally having to admit, maybe being forced to admit that there are problems here with, the, with these jabs. There are major problems with these jabs that we also have a, a, a real big victory 
from uh, Robert F. Kennedy Jr.'s Children's Health Defense, where they defeated the New York State Healthcare Workers Mandate in a groundbreaking decision. This was just today. New York State Supreme Court Judge Gerard, Gerard Neri held that the COVID-19 vaccine mandate for healthcare workers is now null, void, and of no effect. The court held that the New York State Department of Health lacked the authority to impose such a mandate as this power reserved to the state legislature. How about that? Furthermore, the court, the court found that the mandate was arbitrary and capricious as COVID-19 vaccines do not stop transmission. <laughs> Vait, vit, I've never seen this word before. Vitiating. Vitiating any rational basis for a mandate. There shouldn't be. There's no rational basis for a mandate when the uh, vaccine doesn't stop transmission. Children's Health Defense financed this lawsuit on behalf of medical professionals for informed consent and several individual healthcare workers. So Judah Gibson, lead attorney, said this is a huge win for New York healthcare workers who have been deprived of their livelihoods for more than a year. This is also a huge win for all New Yorkers who are facing dangerous and unprecedented healthcare worker shortages throughout New York State. CHD President Mary Holland stated, we are thrilled by this critical win against a COVID vaccine mandate, correctly finding that any such mandate at this stage given current knowledge is arbitrary. We hope that this decision will continue to trend towards lifting these dangerous and unwarranted vaccine mandates throughout the country. We're off to a great start in 2023. So a little bit more, I wanna tell you a little bit more about the children's health defense. We've said, we've talked many times with the, uh, on the show about what can you do past complaining? Even though I love complaining and I think it works in a way, but I think uh, this is how you can really do something. You can donate to the children's health defense. The Children's Health Defense is a 501c3 nonprofit organization. Their mission is to end childhood health epidemics by working aggressively to eliminate harmful exposures, hold those responsible accountable, and establish safeguards to prevent future harm. For more information or to donate, visit childrenshealthdefense.org. That's childrenshealthdefense.org. You can go to childrenshealthdefense.org and also sign up <clears throat> for their newsletter. So that's a big Look, that's a victory, right? That's a victory. Like, yes, arbitrary and capricious. We'll be hearing that a lot lately, uh, soon, now, right now. <laughs> We're going to start hearing that a lot. And uh, once again, a judge had to say it, but we've been saying that for years now. We've been saying that for years. That these, va these vaccine mandates are arbitrary and capricious. And that they've only done more harm than good. Not that just the vaccine mandates, but now we're seeing the vaccines themselves have done more harm than good. And continue to do. Look, as Daniel had said, not the lockdowns, not anything, not the state of emergencies that we're in here in California, some states and, and still federally. None of these things, the vaccines, they've, none of them have just done anything, done anything to change the course of this virus. To stop the virus in its tracks. To reverse anything. They've done nothing. They've done nothing. This is the fifth calendar year of this. And we're still getting people talking about COVID. COVID mandates. Health emergencies. Cases. Testing. We're still. Our sports are still doing this shit. If you get COVID, you can't play. When, when, when a player is injured, they say, oh, it's non-COVID related. They have to continue to use that word COVID and talk about COVID. None of this stuff has stopped the trajectory of COVID. It's only made things worse. It's only made people suffer for no reason. 
But luckily, Children's Health Defense is on this and will be I, – I believe the lawsuit here in California – maybe someone can correct me. I think the lawsuit here in California is still being challenged, the one that says that doctors have to have to have a certain – you know, can, cannot give their own opinion about COVID or, or anything outside what the government tells them to say about COVID. The basically censoring of doctors, the muzzling of doctors by the state of California – to be able to do their jobs. I think that one is still being challenged, still in court by the children's health defense. But look, if a judge in New York rules in their favor, hopefully judges in California will do the same. If not, it'll be taken to the Supreme Court. Or I think it'll be a slam dunk win. So that's a good thing. That's a good thing. Um, We talked about yesterday in fact, I have to give Gator a little bit of credit on this. He talked about the Biden thing and how the Democrats might be doing this in order to uh, you know, dissuade him from uh, running again. And so I've been hearing a little bit on, on television. Uh, the assholes on The View, the, 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 the idiotic moronic women on The View actually try to – and I've seen some other Democratic uh, quote-unquote consultants and even some schmucko Democrat politicians – trying to say the Republicans are behind this. Of course, this makes no sense since it's Biden's people. It's Biden's own people who have found and, and uh, released this information. But these morons, they're such idiots. They're such, they're, they're, they're such jerks that they try to blame it on Republicans. Of course, that's totally ridiculous. But the not-so-ridiculous theory that Gator spoke about on the show yesterday and that I've been hearing on Fox News and I'm seeing today, I'll read an article by Josh Hammer on Daily Caller, is, is the deep state setting its sights on Joe Biden? And I think this has a lot to do with what we were talking about yesterday, where the Democrats may be releasing this now because they don't want him to run again. Um, they don't believe he can win again, and so they want someone else to run. And the more likely it has been lately in the media, you've been hearing more like it's more likely he's going to run again. Now all this stuff all of a sudden comes out. Uh so the article said the second half of Joe Biden's presidential term has officially gotten off to an ignominious start. Early in the week, CBS News first broke the story that Biden had been storing classified documents taken from his previous stint as vice president to Barack Obama at the Chinese funded Penn Center. By the way, we haven't talked about that much. The, 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 the place where his the first. And by the way, I should correct myself. Last night I said there were three. There were two dumps. There were actually three dumps of documents. The first one was at the Penn Center. The second one, I believe, was in his library at his home. And the third one was in his garage. So there were three different places where documents were found, not two. So I mean, there might, I, so far as I'm, as I'm speaking right now, I know of three, who knows if there's more coming, but at the Chinese funded Penn center for Di- diplomacy and global engagement think tank, that was the first uh, document uh, batch that was found. Those classified documents are first identified by Biden's personal attorneys on November 2nd, a full six days before the midterm elections. Richard Sauber, Biden's special counsel, claimed that the White House's counsel office quickly notified the National Archives, which seized the documents post-haste. That alone would be bad enough for a president who utterly exoriated former President Donald Trump in the aftermath of last August's unprecedented pre-dawn FBI raid at Mar-a-Lago, Trump's palatial Palm Beach estate, due to Trump's own classified document retention scandal. Biden openly wondered CBS 60 Minutes news program weeks after the FBI raid, how could anyone be that irresponsible? The galling hypocrisy from the Penn-Biden Center incident would have been bad enough, but then 
Joe Biden's week got worse. Adding insult to injury, on Thursday, two separate tranches of additional classified documents from the Obama-Biden administration were found in Biden's Wilmington, Delaware, personal home. All but one of the documents was found in a storage space in Biden's garage. That garage was locked, the president quickly pointed out, in a flippant attempt at de-escalation and also housed his prized Corvette. One other classified document was found strewn about elsewhere in the house outside the garage. Attorney General Emmerich Garland responded to news with the appointment of a special counsel to investigate Biden's misdeeds. Garland, of course, had done the same for Trump almost two months prior on November 18. At least from Garland's perspective, it seems both men are irresponsible enough and prevent sufficiently political delicate positions as to require special counsel. But, but obvious similarities, hence Biden's egregious hypocrisy stemming from his earlier attempt to seize a moral high ground. In these situations aside, there are some crucial differences. Those differences do not reflect well on the current White House occupant. By far the most important difference is the constitutional distinction in the statuses of the two men at the center of the two-pronged saga. Trump was president, while Joe Biden was merely vice president during the time he absconded with classified documents. That distinction may not seem like a big deal, but from a constitutional perspective, it makes all the difference in the world. The president alone is vested by Article 2 of the Constitution with the executive power of the national government. This prosaic textual truism forms the crux of what constitutional lawyers, who being lawyers make things seem even more complicated than they really are, refer to as unitary executive theory. The vice president, in fact, possesses no more executive power than does a cabinet official, a White House janitor, or even a reader of this column, or listeners to this podcast, unless you're the president. The upshot is that as this column argued after August Mar-a-Lago raid, Trump had unilateral plenary authority to declassify any document that he wants to declassify, period. Biden possessed no such similar power. He does now, but not then with those documents. Furthermore, as the same August column argued, all ex-presidents receive various taxpayer-funded accoutrements, among them a staff with security clearances and secure facilities. They're called SCIFs. I think you've heard this. SCIFs, S-C-I-F-S, for the maintenance of classified records. These are Certain areas, like a vault, that could be called the skiff, where they're, it's secure, where they're allowed to put these. And they're not supposed to be outside those skiffs. Biden, as an ex-vice president and not ex-president, had no such niceties. He merely had a garage with a lock secure enough for his Corvette. What's more, the Presidential Records Act also permits departing presidents to take personal copies of any of their records. The statute affords no such similar protection for departing VPs. So from a legal perspective, we will see where the freshly minted special counsel, Robert Herr, goes with his investigation. And from a political perspective, the Biden administration's astounding, sorry, astounding hypocrisy on this matter will surely face a blowback. But perhaps the most pressing question is why? Why was there a leak to CBS? News just now over two months after Biden's attorneys discovered the first tranche of classified documents deep in the bowels of a Penn Biden Center office. Why? Has there been such a slow drip, drip, dramatic leaking and reporting of various classified document tranches throughout this whole week? It is thoroughly unsurprising that the federal law enforcement apparatus and the corporate media buried the news of Biden's malfeasance on the precipice of the midterm elections. The Democrat media complex, as the late Andrew Breitbart called it, demanded nothing less than such complicity. By the timing, but the timing of the leak from various federal law enforcement actors. Now, just as Biden is beginning his second term, suggests there is real internal turmoil over at the DNC. Perhaps because 
as Biden's beginning a second term, I, I think they mean to say is uh, is considering a second term. Perhaps some of the DNC instructed deep state spooks that now would be a particularly propitious time to leak sordid details to the media. Perhaps some of the DNC thought that Joe Biden's did his job by shepherding his party through the midterms without succumbing to the much feared red wave, but that he is now disposable and should be replaced at the ballot by, at the ballot in 2024 by Governor Gavin Newsom. Low though I am to speculate, it is difficult to think of a sounder explanation as to why only now all this is coming out. There are many, many open questions here. Here's hoping Special Counsel Her can provide <clears throat> some answers. So you see, as Mr. Hammer in the Daily Caller talks about, it is it is curious, it is very curious that this is all happening now, that this is all coming out now when the when Biden is supposedly on the verge, on the precipice of uh, of announcing he's going to run for a second term. In fact, there are now I'm seeing right now as I look at the television, DOC, the document scandal pours cold water on Biden's 2024 hope. So, you know, there are those of us who don't believe in coincidences. Right. We talk about the, the you know, the excess deaths, people just dying of coincidence and also coincidences here. It, it's a little too neat and clean, isn't it? To say, oh, it's just the timing's the timing. It's just a coincidence. But maybe not. I'm, I'm starting to I'm starting to think more about this as though this is a real possibility that they don't want Joe Biden to run again. And maybe this can make his decision easier to not run. Right. And look at the timing. Not only did it not come out before now when we've had they've had these documents for over two months. But it also they made sure it also came out before his decision, right? Because they might not want him to run again, but they don't want to necessarily embarrass him. So imagine he had made his decision and said, I'm running again. I'm officially in. I've filed. And then these documents come out and he's got to say, I'm now I'm not running. That is really egg on the face. So now they're giving him a chance. And whether it's spoken to him as a chance or not, or he just gets it, even though he doesn't get much. They're saying, look, we're giving you this chance before you make an official decision to make the right decision. No embarrassment. No embarrassment. You're going to be 80 years old. I mean, you wouldn't, your term wouldn't end until 86. You're 86. There's no embarrassment in handing it off to a younger person. There's no embarrassment in letting Gavin Newsom run instead. Right, Joe? Wink, wink. Right, Joe? So the, look, the more I talk this out, the more I, I'm convinced myself <laughs> that this is exactly what they're doing. And the timing is perfect, right? Once again, they didn't do it so it would hurt the midterms, right? They didn't want to hurt their chances, the Democrats in the midterm, so they waited. And they're also not doing it after Joe Biden decides he's running again, announces he's running, doing it in the in-between period, right? So it doesn't hurt the Democrats' chance in the midterms anymore. And it doesn't totally embarrass Biden by having them to reverse his decision to run for office. Okay, I've convinced myself. That's what happened. But this is certainly much more a possibility than these morons on The View and some of these idiot Democratic politicians who say it's coming from the Republicans as though, oh, my God, the Republicans are so afraid of Joe Biden running again. No, the Republicans aren't afraid of Joe Biden running again. Democrats are obviously afraid of Joe Biden. Are these idiots don't see the fucking polls. Don't see how much hate this guy, how his polls are in the mid to upper 30s, maybe scratching 40 in the most friendly Biden poll. How the most, the majority of Americans and the majority of Democrats don't want him to run in poll after poll after poll. It's obvious 
that it's the Democrats that don't want him to run, not the Republicans. Look, as as someone who hopes Ron DeSantis wins, I hope Joe Biden runs. I want Joe Biden to run. I think Gavin Newsom is not a good candidate in the general election, but I think he's a much better candidate than, than Joe Biden. Much better. Just because of his age and his looks. And this is a superficial country. That, that matters to a lot of people. It matters to a lot of people. It also matters to a lot of older people. And I noticed this with Biden and Bernie. I noticed a lot of older people I know are the ones who said, what are they doing? They're so old. It's the old people who don't see themselves in that position. So they can't imagine anyone else in that position. Those old people love young people. They love young, good-looking people. And so I, I think, like I said, Newsom, I don't believe, will play. I think he'll play wonderfully in a Democratic primary. I don't think he'll play in a general election. But Biden's a disaster. I, I see no chance that Biden wins, no matter who runs, including Trump. So it's very possible. Look, it really is. It's really it's very possible Democrats are doing this. And they've released it at this time. They have, Look, they haven't made these documents up. They're not fake. They found them. They're real. But it's the timing. It's the timing that makes me believe they just want to they want to persuade him not to run. We'll see if we'll see if he does. We'll see if it works. Because remember, before these documents, every single report in the media was that he was ready to run. Right? Every single report I was hearing was that, you know, last year we heard, oh, he'll never run. No, he's not gonna. But once those midterms happened, and especially once the calendar year turned to 2020, every report I saw said he was Days, weeks or days away from announcing he's running again. And then this happens. Let's see what happens. Let's see what happens. But it's obvious if he decides not to run, a big part of it, if not the whole thing, will be these documents. You know, whether he mentions the documents as a reason or not, he could use it as an excuse. He doesn't want to have baggage, bring baggage. There are other candidates don't have that baggage. It's, you know, you know, this nonsense he says, but I'll, but he'll say something like, but you know, I didn't know it. I'll, I'll claim ignorance. He'll claim ignorance. He'll say, you know how the funniest thing he says is everyone knows how, <laughs> how important it is for me to protect documents like this, right? How, how seriously I take these kinds of documents. Well, how, what a joke that is when you have them next to your Corvette. If you took them seriously, there wouldn't be a few here, a few there, a few in this other place. It was a joke. Obviously, he doesn't take it seriously. Obviously, he never really gave it any thought. Of course, that's nonsense. He doesn't take it seriously. If he took it seriously, he wouldn't have done this. If he took it seriously, they would have been all in one secure location, not strewn across the entire country. So, of course, that's a joke. That's a joke. It's quite the opposite. He doesn't really care at all. Or he just got old and forgot where they were. Who knows? That's also a possibility. That's also a possibility. But this is interesting. I think this is an interesting angle to talk about more next week and beyond. There's this idea that the DNC, the people, Democrats, are the ones who are doing this, releasing it You know, at this, at this particular time. I did want to talk about something else. And so I know it's a... Sometimes people, you know, this is not a, a local show. I'm not a, it's not local San Francisco radio. I know it's a podcast, but I think it's important to talk about the mayor of San Francisco, London Breed, because things are so bad here. Things are so bad in San Francisco, but this is the case in many. If you're living in any Democrat-run city, any, any, any mid 
at any Democrat-run city, especially any, you know, mid-sized to, to large Democrat-run city, you know of the problems. You know of the crime, the looting, the raping, the stabbings, the pushing onto subway platforms, small, small businesses being looted. You know of all this stuff. Homelessness. You, you get it. Um, and uh, recently there was a video of a man, a, a gallery owner in San Francisco spraying a homeless person who was sitting in front of his store with water in the in the chest the person had a coat on it was probably 55 60 degree day and they, he was spraying him in the chest for about five seconds about five seconds a stream of water and this has gone so viral as though this is the worst human being in the world to do this to a poor homeless person and i looked at it and i had heard about it before and i looked at it and then i realized the guy also the background is the guy had called the guy had tried to reason with this homeless person, but the person's probably insane, so he couldn't do that. Um, but he called the police, he called London Breed's office. So he went through the proper channels several times. And basically, the losers, the worthless, ineffectual losers in London Breed's office said they couldn't do anything about it, and the police didn't want to do anything about it. So he took matters into his own hands barely. It's like he shot the person, he just put some water in there to make it uncomfortable for that person to continue doing what they were doing. And it wasn't just a person, if you watch the video, and if you know anything about the homeless, it wasn't just a person sitting on the tree outside his, it was like, you know, they've set up camp. So it's like dirty and there's crap all over the place. In other words, it would make someone who's going to that gallery not want to go there. They want to avoid that that block. So it was hurting his business. Um, and as you know, small businesses, because of COVID and because of homelessness and crime, they've been totally devastated here in San Francisco. At least half are gone. The others are barely making it. Uh, you know, major corporations have left. Jobs have left. People have left. It's it's basically uh, a city of just very, very wealthy liberal elites now. Um, so who can afford to continue to stay here, live in their luxury condos? So that's what it's become here. And uh, basically a city of the very wealthy and the very poor. The wealthy and the homeless, the young and the restless. And so this video has gone viral. And earlier today, London Breed comes out and says that this video reminded her of the blacks in the 50s and 60s being sprayed by racists in the South. This reminded her of civil rights violations in the 50s and 60s, of black people being sprayed, you know, hoses by cops, white cops in the South. We've seen those videos, right? Mississippi, Alabama, which is about the, the dumbest fucking thing anyone can say. I mean, we've said we've heard a lot of dumb shit from wacko liberals over the last few years. But this is on the top rung of dumb shit to compare this to compare a man who wants to keep his business open. Who wants to be able to support himself and his family, spraying a homeless person five seconds with water in 60 degree weather after he went through all the proper channels to try to get that person removed. She compared that to blacks in the 50s and 60s being hosed by police and mass. Once again, this is how the left brings race into anything. There was no racial element to this whatsoever, but right away they go to a racial time right they right right they go to a racial place with it right away that's what they do to try to get the other wacko lefty liberal morons on their side right away and it works because we're seeing it i'm seeing it here with comments with people in the street with people on social media saying oh this guy deserves to work put this guy in jail close his shop put him in jail these dumb 
liberal morons in this city would rather blame the store owner who wants to keep his business open than the mayor who makes 350,000 fucking dollars a year, more twice as much as a congressperson, more than a senator, the highest paid mayor in this in the in the nation. They'd rather blame the store owner than her. She sits on her fat ass and does nothing but collect money, which is bilking the taxpayers of San Francisco. She's taken my money, this worthless, fat loser, sits there and blames a guy and calls him a racist, basically calls him a racist cop in 1960 Mississippi. And people buy that instead of blaming her and the ineffectual people she has who make six figures each in her office who did nothing after the guy called them probably 80 fucking times to remove one homeless person from outside his business who was setting up setting up shop with shit and piss on the street in front of his business. They'd rather blame him than her. That's the dumb shit city I live in. There are only the dumbest of the dumb remaining in this city. Dumb liberal elites who don't actually have to deal with life every day on a regular basis the way most people do. Who from their perch will blame one of the remaining store owners in this country, in this city. It's not bad enough that half the businesses since 2020 have closed. It's not bad enough that several industries, major industries, have left and gone to Florida and Texas because it's so fucking awful here. That's not enough. They want to blame this guy, close his door, lock him up, instead of blaming the woman who makes $350,000 a year to sit on her fat ass and do nothing. Hey, dude. Hate to get you in the middle of this. Oh, no, no. Well I, well, I was just thinking about something. I was talking to somebody the other day, an American guy who um, we were sort of, we touched on this topic and I was a bit surprised at what he said because he lives somewhere over north of New York, I think. Um, and uh, I put it to him. I said, well, I was reading some articles recently about um, how in particularly, I think in San Francisco, but wider than that, the retail industry is reporting that um, they have this phenomenon called retail shrink, which is essentially a term that encapsulates um, theft. And they're claiming that uh, there's about $94.5 billion worth of shrink-related losses, right? And they're obviously the Federation, the, the NRF, relates this to um, basically organized retail crime. But then even when you obviously think about this, if it's not even illegal to steal up to a thousand dollars worth of stuff, then then, you know, it's not even crime, is it? Right. And um, I put this to him. I, 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 I was actually being sympathetic to another a wider point he was making, but the guy doesn't listen. And he literally just went to a flat out refutation of this, saying that's bullshit. That's propaganda. And I said, well, what do you mean? And he said, well, the CEO of Walgreens has stated that there isn't a problem. And I said, okay, well, and then I, and then this article gave me the ability to check in and link through to the CEO of Walgreens and, or Walmart, so the other wall and um, one other 
Target, I think, or something like that, who both basically said in literally their last year's earnings reports, uh, we've, there's a big problem here. And that the effect of these two pro- this problem is either going to be store closure or price increases in addition to whatever else would be going on in a normal inflationary environment, right? But this guy absolutely flat out refused to take any of this into account. And he was saying, look, I'm telling you that the Walgreens CEO is saying something and that's true. So that's the only thing to believe. And I said, well, I'm showing you that there's two CEOs who say the opposite. But he's saying, yeah, but those CEOs are saying that so that they can get more money out of the state. I said, well, how? how? He said, so that they'll get more money spent on them by the state. I said, well, they're actually, they're not, they're saying that they've got their own maximum level of store security. And if anything, there's a, a shortcoming in state-related law and law and order, including the actual definition of what shoplifting is. And he, he couldn't accept this at all. And eventually, you know, he, I think he even cut me off, right? <laughs> now, I, I, kept, I went back and had a quick listen to what he was talking about with a Mexican who lives in LA. The Mexican guy backed my entire position, right? Well, no, first of all, the guy accused me of being white, too white, and essentially that I was a racist for, for pointing out what the National Federa- Retail Federation had claimed about $400 million of losses in 2022 due to this problem, right? And I mean, a Target spokesman said the problem is primarily due to organized retail crime. Okay. Now, then the Mexican piped up and literally backed my entire position and said, I live here and this is happening and it is a major problem. And the guy basically completely capitulated. Right now, this gets to some of the I mean, this is one example and a poor one, but it's an illustrative example, right, of how somebody somewhere where where the problem doesn't seem to exist with his own internal prejudices and biases will flat out reject anyone coming along with any sort of data whatsoever and suggesting that there may be more to the issue, right? And that in, in doing, in, in, in trying to be able to refuse, he would even go as far as to just accuse somebody of being arbitrarily racist in order to justify his own, his own perception, right? When there's no basis for him to accuse anyone of being racist. And then when he's p- faced with the same argument, by a guy who cannot be assailed with a racism argument, he has not got the ability to count, to continue to argue his own position, right? Now, take, take all of this and apply it to what you've just been saying. It isn't about, um, it's basically about the political power that anyone has. And my understanding is that this is getting possibly so bad in your state Mm-hmm. that there are actually businesses coming together now to, t- to challenge the state and say, if you cannot provide a minimum of legal enforcement of the law and meaningful laws that enable us to do business, why should we pay you taxes? Now, I, I, I fully support that. And I would say that that's pretty much the only way that, um, that people should try to fight it. They should just come together and, and make open uh challenges about value for money for taxes because the one thing that they would then be able to potentially present is a total stoppage and 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 that's going to get right to the heart of the business of government isn't it well yeah it is absolutely but you're talking about the problem is you're talking about so many people in my city who don't 
<clears throat> who don't see this, who, who's, there are too many people in this my city who are bleeding heart liberals who think that the, the victims here are, are the homeless, right? They think the, they think the victims here are the people who are living on the streets with, with schizophrenia. And that's the, and, and the enemies are the, are the hardworking citizens of this country. The enemies are the business owners, the enemy are the people who are spending 5,000 a month on rent. Those are the enemies, you know, those are the enemies. Oh, you live in a big city. You have to deal with that. You don't want to go live in the boondocks. I mean, a lot of them say this stuff, right? Go, go live in a city where there aren't so many amenities, even though there are really no amenities left here. Um, go, go ahead. Go live there. But you're living in a big city, and this comes along. Crime, homelessness, mental illness comes along with it because these people truly believe that. They truly believe this is the way a big city is supposed to be. This is the way a big city has to be, and if you want to live with it, live in it, you got to deal with it. Right. And how dare, how dare. I mean, you've got to see the horrible vitriol, the horrible vitriol against this man for squirting this person in the chest for a few seconds with water. I mean, look at look at the asshole mayor and what she comes out and compares it to. But that's what we're dealing with. Now, Daniel uh, Gator, in a normal city, could the mayor come out and make such a ridiculous comparison and ex and, 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 and survive? Not be recalled? Have any, uh, had any have any chance at re-election? Yes, depending upon the political temperature of the time. Right, depend, depending on the people who live here, depending on the, the, depending on the people who vote for such a, an individual, right? That's what I'm saying. There are so many. You don't understand. There are so many people here. She can get away with saying something so utterly racist and dumb. One of the worst analogies in the history of analogies, even worse than the seatbelt analogy to the vaccine and masks, is that. She's allowed to say this because she knows there's no consequences electorally. She's not going to lose her $350,000 a year job for saying that because the majority of the voters agree with that sentiment, Gator. Well, yeah, OK, but look, there's a different way of looking at this. And it's a little bit in keeping with these with these business owners, right? The, the superficiality of, 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 you know, this event, right? The single event, getting publicity and then garnering... A statement like that from the mayor is one thing, but that's but you don't win or lose or fight battles of meaning like that. If a bunch of business owners uh, grew in size to directly take all of their skills and knowledge and awareness and relative wealth up against the council or the city council or whatever you call it there, there's two outcomes, right? One of them is that they know how to do accounting which basically means that they can actually critique the value for money of their tax dollars. Because you could look at, you could cast an eye over the city's accounts and go, fuck me, we pay X percentage in, in business taxes in addition to our personal taxes. And yet, for some reason, the majority of money gets eaten up in munis, which will never return uh, anything meaningful. Um, we've spotted that our, our council also is involved in questionable private lending, which is definitely a problem for American states in terms of deals, dodgy investment deals that they've done with banks. I mean, plenty of states have already got major bank hold, bankruptcy issues with their pension funds and certain municipal bonds and stuff like that, and yeah. have done for decades, right? Um, and then you can, and, and they could probably identify a lot of other, un, you know, poor value for money, like how much are you spending year on year in a police force if you're actually enforcing less and less crime, right? Um, and then you can then you can even create an accounting argument that offsets the cost of the the, the the tax revenue 
against the business's loss of earnings from theft, right? And you can create a, a sophisticated argument. That doesn't have to be played out in public. That just simply needs to be um, what I think Ralph Nader says, is you get 500 credible signatures onto a piece of paper and present that to your congressperson, okay? They have to turn up in a to a meeting and basically listen to what you've got to say, even if they don't do anything about it, right? right. So if I was in your state and a business owner, I'd just run around trying to find 500 businesses who are getting shafted and work on that basis. And then I would take that directly to Congress or, or to the states, the governor or whatever, uh, over the mayor and basically say, what are you going to do about this? Because if you don't do anything about it, we're going to A, publicize it. We're not going to give up on publicizing it. We're going to blame you. We're going to, and we're going to start raising serious questions about the value for money that any citizen in this state gets out of out of their taxes because as soon as people dumb people start asking those questions then they're shown basically how they're getting ripped off that's a problem that that the local governors don't want to deal with once they get outed in these sort of things they're going to have to start dealing with stuff right and um that that's the beginning of the uprising of the poor isn't it because then the, the people who are just on the verge of bankruptcy just on the verge of being homeless get shown how they're getting ripped off even more they're going to get more angry. You know, that's that's the kind of thing that people can do to sort of f fight back. Yeah, the first thing people have to do to fight back is to elect people in this, elect people to office who actually know the heart of the problem and want to deal with it and don't want to blame store owners or blame racism or do this ridiculous stuff where they blame everyone but themselves and their own bad policies. That's what it comes down to. The fish stinks from the head down with this stuff, especially locally. It's just bad leadership from the top down that's what that's the problem here the problem is not the store owner and the problem is not even the person on the street really the problem is the leadership sucks right the leadership sucks and she proved how much she sucks today when she compares this to racism and then talking about things like we'll have to look into this meaning the person might have to be prosecuted it's ridiculous it's ridiculous if her office did the right thing and moved the guy away. If there was a system here, and wait a minute, it also comes out now, I didn't mention this, that this person had been offered mental, the person's nuts, had been offered mental health um, uh, help and has denied it, okay? Now, that's another problem. People like this, if they're living on the public streets, which are paid for by taxpayer dollars, which regular people have to walk on and survive on and exist on in order to get to work, in order to do their daily their daily routines and, and feel safe. If they're living on the public streets and they're offered help and they don't take it, they must be forced to get help. They must be forced off the streets. They don't have a right to live on the streets. The taxpayers of the city pay for those streets, okay? And the fact of the matter is, is that this is the biggest problem, is that the left is not willing to forcibly take people off the streets. That's the issue. Forcibly take them off, put them into, if they have a drug addiction, put them into drug rehab. If they have a mental health issue, such as schizophrenia, which most of them have, that's the problem with most of them, put them, get them mental health, uh, uh, put them into mental health facilities and clinics until they're better. This is the stuff. Then once people are no longer drug addicts, no longer insane, they have a better shot of making decisions about their own lives. But right now they can't make decisions about their own lives. That's the difference. There's no one in this city who runs this city who will take that stance.
Well, simply be- once again, because more people in this city will react and agree with the mayor calling this guy an awful racist than agree with forcibly taking people off the streets. That's the problem. Okay, but there's, there's, two, there's two issues there, right? The, the second one is about the oversimplification of what is involved in removing somebody and placing them into state forms of state care to deal with issues, right? So one is a, a straightforward question of capacity in any form of service, right? And let's face it, you and I think we would be safe to say California will not have the capacity to deal with any with with the majority of the people who are living on the streets problems right drug use and mental health issues they won't have the capacity you're a private healthcare provider you don't have the capacity and and, and it's all based around profit orientated models right and um, your state provision will be worse than the UK's so that's the first thing the second thing is that when you enter when somebody is forcibly detained in those circumstances Right, they may not even want to fully engage for whatever reason with the forms of therapy that are on offer because 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 of complex reasons, right? Now, assuming that they do, and they can sort of get clean because they want to get clean, the other state, the subsequent stages and circumstances that follow rehab are as critical as rehab itself. Yes. If you get put into a halfway house and you're surrounded by literal cunts who are basically breaking the terms of the, the halfway house and they use drugs and things like that. And you're essentially brought back into it, into this environment. Right. That is a guaranteed way for most people to fail the, that process because they aren't, they aren't streamed. Right. But you can't take say 50 druggies, put them all through a rehab and then have them to go to three halfway houses and expect for those factors to not come into play. You're lit- some people are literally going to have to be put into an environment that has nothing, no contact whatsoever with any other formerly homeless person, any other formerly mentally ill person, any other former drug addict, because they're so um, susceptible or vulnerable to essentially coming, coming off the rails. And that's even before you get into the possibility that any of these people could be exposed to or the victims of extreme abuse in these environments, in any of the environments, by any of the, the, the people that they're in with, right? The, the nuances and complexities of this are deep, right? But then, and then the other thing about political stuff is that I would point out is this. It isn't adequate to say that the fault or the primary cause is to, is to elect the right person because nobody is ever the right person. The, the reason why I say that is because anyone can say anything to become elected. What they do after that is a matter for them, right, and forces that act on them for the term in which they can minimally serve without being ousted, right? Mm-hmm. So you now have to deal with the mayor that you've got. That the art that that is that the citizens need to ex- ex- um, become skilled in exercising is controlling whoever is in office by whatever means that they can that they can access right because if you can't control your quote unquote representative your representative is not representing you right and so that's why I would argue that the techniques like what I just described which is essentially to build a ground up citizen business movement that strikes at the heart of the, the power base or the credibility base or the interest base of those elected leaders, and they're not leaders, right? They're not tr- leaders in any true form. They're just people who are exercising power, uh, diff- uh, difficult to make accountable power, right? Um, 
those that is it's 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 the citizens who need to learn how to control these fuckers because we've all forgotten because we've all given in to being led right being told what to do and now we don't like how it works well you know you will get this no matter who you are the person who gets elected you won't like at some point they will do something against you they will be incompetent they will be corrupt right so you will never elect the right person you will only have the choice of controlling whoever got elected yeah but we but i understand once again you know your cynicism always comes through with this stuff gator it's it's, it's i have to admit it's very consistent <laughs> it's very but that's consistent. a reality you no, don't no, no, control no, 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 anyone but, but, but i understand but until you try to control them i understand but there are a couple of things here one is this really all began this the, the this explosion in the problem of crime and homelessness and the homeless population in ten cities and all this really exploded once Reagan closed down all the mental health facilities, all the mental health hospitals. So there's, there's a Republican we can certainly blame on a federal level. That did not help the situation. And I think you'll see a direct correlation between that, that happening in the 80s and what has happened ever since with homelessness. Okay. Wait so that begs the question, how can your first point be true then? If you yeah, haven't got these places to put them, how can you just you take these to, people off the street to, and put them in somewhere? I somewhere? understand. I understand. A big po- we do have facilities, though. There are facilities. There are plenty of rooms and spaces and hospital and beds and facilities. However, we need to reopen these facilities. We need to open more of them. We need to spend money there. But there's another issue here. When you go to most Republican-run cities, you don't see this kind of a problem. So you're saying it doesn't matter with the ideology of the person you elect, but it, it does. It, it, it does matter. The ideology does matter. When you're electing people like London Breed and, and, and Lori Lightfoot and that wacko in New Orleans who said she has to, you know, you, you tell me you can't do better than Lori Lightfoot. Look, it's never going to be perfect. You're right. You can't do better than that. You can't do better than a, a mayor in New Orleans who says she has to fly first class because black women is dangerous for a black woman to fly coach. You can't do better than that. You can't do better than a mayor who compares one store owner squirting this this water to all the racist police in the 50s and 60s. You can't do better than that. You can do better. You know, you're right. It's never going to be perfect. There are always going to be problems, and the system has to change, not just the person. But it starts with this ending this stream, this constant stream. We're talking decades-long stream of Democrats who are running their cities into the ground. It didn't happen overnight. It didn't happen overnight. Okay, but 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 going to this point about can you vote vote in better people than and you cited two after the fact issues, one being first class flights and the other being I can't remember what now. Well, no, Lord, Chicago's overrun with crime. It's horrible. Yeah, yeah. but how, how on earth can a voter determine those behavioural shortcomings or attitudinal shortcomings of somebody who they have not seen in office before? The only reason you know that that woman's attitude to flying first class is what it is, was that A, she got voted in, B, she was challenged, she was found out at some point after the fact, she was challenged, and then she provided that explanation. No voter knew that before they voted her in, so how could they have not voted her in for that outcome, right? That's, that's a circular argument, right? And the point is that what you need to do is, now that that's been exposed, people have to control her, right? Uh, via a means that's, that, that basically A, prevents her from doing it, and B, uh, if you can get her out of office uh, and there are enough look, people look, to do look, it, look, get her out. Gator, and if you Gator. can't, you have to contain it. But you can't Gator. just run around saying, 
we, we should vote him better because everybody can do that. Everybody can pretend to be one thing and then go and do something else. And I if know, they don't get caught or challenged, you're in the same situation every time. I'll, I'll, I'll bring up New York as an example. All right. Crime exploded on the Bill de Blasio. Right. And there's yeah. plenty of Democrats there who said, oh, this guy's awful, the worst, horrible, disgusting. Whatever. And they elect another Democrat who's just as bad, if not worse. So it's this constant it's this constant uh, uh, habit, I guess of simply just voting for someone because of their party, or it could be a party, or it could be race, it could be identity yeah. politics, it could be whatever. So that it's like going, it's like, the, once again, we talk about this a lot in the show, the definition of insanity is doing the same thing that's not working over and over again, expecting a better result, going through that same pothole over and over again, never learning and turning the car. This is what they're doing in these places. This is what they're doing in my city, okay? So they, they make the same mistake over and over again, and many of us are here to have to suffer for it. At some point, you have to break this, right? You have to break this bad habit, right? You have to break the habit. You might have to vote for someone who's maybe more conservative. You might have to vote for a Republican once in your life if you want a place that's livable. But the problem is, once again, you get, we get the representation we deserve. I love that saying. I think it's true. Yeah, I do. Get, I, have, I do generally agree with that. Yeah. We get the representation we deserve. We get, and when you see how the people react to situations like this, when you see that, when you see them doing news stories about it, it's, 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 but it's not, it's not just the citizens. Yes, we, I see the comments on social media to articles written in SF Chronicle. I see comments on, on TV from people. I see the newscasters also presenting it from the left-wing point of view, right? From the same point of view, this is a horrible man. The newscasters do that. So it's a full, it's, you know, it's a, it's a collective psychosis, basically. And that at some point that, at some point that has to end. At some point that has to end if we're going to be able to have major cities in this country, which are actually livable and worth living in, you know, and, and right now we don't, we see, we see mass exoduses from all of them, from all of them, mass exoduses. And the, I, I, I will st I'll say with this, the only answer is better leadership. The only answer is really better leadership. It is. But, it, but, it, but that goes against the notion that you get what you deserve. Because if that's true, then the real answer is that it has to come, it has to come from the populace demanding a, 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 a standard. Well, of course. Yes. No, yes. But what I'm saying here is they don't demand it. They don't demand it. They, Skater, it's, it's more virtue signaling, Gator. Okay, what do you think would happen? Wait a minute, wait a minute now. Look at the three major cities I'm talking about. San Francisco, Chicago, New Orleans, New York, four of them. What's the, all fucking shitholes right now. What is the common denominator? What did the people elect? They elected a black woman, a black woman, a black woman, a black man. And so these people in this city can pat themselves on the back and look at how inclusive we are. Look at how we virtue signal. Look how we elect African-Americans and minorities. Look at, look how great, that's all they care about, man. That's what they care about. And if it means that their neighbor dies, if it means that their aunt gets stabbed, if it means that their father gets pushed onto the tracks, uh, oh, well, which we try to do the right thing. And then I have people saying, oh, they lied to us when they ran for office. They lied. Like Eric Adams lied and said he was going to make crime better. Well, if you're a moron and you believe that shit, then you get what you deserve as well. So it's, it's always an excuse. It's always an excuse not to vote. Let's put it this way. It's always an excuse not to vote for a libertarian or a conservative or a Republican. There's always an excuse. Okay, but what, what, what do you think would happen in California if anyone who was either in power or trying to get into power said, this, th for my term, 
I am going to do uh, the following in order to try to correct the, the combinations of issues that you've, you've been raising. They mm -hmm. are that I will have to build two new prisons at X cost in order to basically then lower the crime bar back down to where it should be, which is all shoplifting is theft, right? And that homelessness is a crime, uh, potentially a jailable offence. Um, and then I'm going to have to create a system of uh, enhanced uh, rehab, which so basically... Go, I want to start with one second. From I, I picking know, them up no, on no. the street I to know, integrating them back into a meaningful job. Right. Homelessness is not a crime, but there is when it gets to the point where you're schizophrenic and you're dangerous, that's that's a problem. Also, when it gets to the point where you're offered help and you don't take it, that's another problem. So I'm not saying it's it's not a crime. It's not it's, that's the homelessness in, in itself is not a crime. The problem is when you become a threat to other people and also when you're offered help, free help and you decide not to take it, that's when we start having problems. That's when the problems start occurring. And believe me, I've heard this from people, I've heard this from people who like are drug addicts and they are forced to go into rehab, usually because they get arrested, right? They do something that's a crime and they get arrested. And one of the provisions of their arrest to not go to jail is to go to rehab. Those people nine out of 10 times, if not 10 out of 10 times, come out and say, thank God I got arrested. Thank God. I, d I wouldn't have gone into rehab any other way until I was forced to go into it. But thank God, because I'm clean now and I'm getting my life in order. So to say these things don't have positive con outcomes is not true. They often do. Most of the time they do have positive outcomes. You've named all those situations where they might not. You're in a halfway home with bad people, whatever. Not everything's going to work out perfectly. But nine out of ten times they do have positive outcomes. And those people say it's just like people who don't want to take medication. And when they're finally forced to or take it, they say, oh, shit, I should have done that a long time ago. It's the same thing. And so there has to be a, a system where people have to get help if they are going to live on the streets, if it's going to be a we can live in a civilized society and a civilization. And the fact of the matter is there is no there is no once again, the leadership isn't pushing it because the citizens, Micah Chopley says, and he's pushing it. But the majority of citizens, we're not the groundswell saying this is the way it has to be. In fact, most of them find it. Uh, you know, uneasy to think people would be forced into a van <laughs> and then have to go to a home a hospital somewhere. But the fact of the matter is that's really the only answer at this point. Hang on. But, but there's another bit that I don't think you're talking about, which is once they've gone through this process and they're clean and they're sober and, uh, and then they're suddenly released from the institution, they're still homeless and jobless. No, no, no. no. But the, just like I, I mentioned this before, just like ex-cons, who come out of prison? The, the state, the, the state get, puts puts into place a process where they hook them up with people who will hire ex cons. So it's not it's, it, that's not the way it goes. It's not you don't just get released and and, and here's five dollars. Good luck. They often they give them the resources to use if they want to get back on their feet. There are people, there are databases of people who are willing. Many of them ex cons themselves who own businesses who are willing to hire ex cons. So they set them up so they can. Could there be better rehabilitation in prison? There's no doubt about it. But no, that's not the case. It isn't the case, Gator, where it's just, okay, now you're, now you, you've, you're cured. We say you're cured, goodbye, and you're still homeless. First of all, a big difference is, a big difference is, I mean, they, there, are plenty of, there are plenty of resources in this city where you can be set up with housing. 
low income or no income housing. But you got to be in a situation where you know how to be housed, where you're not going to burn the fucking place down, mm. where you're not going to destroy it or kill everyone else in the building, where you're able to <laughs> mentally exist in society. That's the important part. That's the most important part, giving people that tool to where they're able to at least have uh, the, the cognizant, the ability to get back on their feet and aren't distracted by schizophrenia or mental illness or, or, or drug addiction. That's the point. You're giving them a basis for where they can get back on their feet. And believe me, in a city like San Francisco, there are so many resources for people. But the problem is a lot of these people who are drug addicts or mentally ill, like with schizophrenia, don't know how to access the resources. They wouldn't know what to do with them if they had them. So that that's the base issue that has to be cured first. And right now we have no system of curing that, Skater. We just don't. We don't. We just say as a society, as the politicians, as leaders, as police, eh, I'm not going to get involved. There's nothing we can do. Let them just exist the way they are. And that's not an answer for them or other people who want to exist in the society and not be harmed or killed and feel safe and secure, which is all right as taxpayers, as human beings. That's it. it. Well, I'd, I'd argue that the business lobby, if they are really losing out as badly as they claim they are, the small and medium-sized enterprise lobby is probably as good a place to start at exerting yeah. political power as any. And, and because it would is, work both ways. They would be able to say no. to the public, you need to change your attitude right. as well as the politicians. Right. The problem is they have tried that. Like this business owner who went through the legal process of calling the police, of calling London Breed's office, of trying to get someone to move this person away, at least a, if not into a home, just away from their business. They couldn't do it. So it gets to the point, Gator, where they go through all the channels they can go through. And then they just say... We're going to leave. We're going to leave. That's good for them. It doesn't help the city at all. It hurts the city even more. But after a while, people just can't take it anymore, which is why you're seeing businesses, small, medium, and large people leaving because they said we've exhausted it. We're exhausted. Mm. Yeah, okay. Now, in the ex in, in, to that extreme, would, shouldn't uh, a person who embraces the American dream and philosophy say, well, you know what? That is a perfect example of the free market economy fixing the problem because competition between states exists or between cities exist. And I've essentially been won over and take my business to another city. I read Leave, article... leave leaving the shell of the shithole behind, right. which right. proves unassailably right. that whatever governing model existed there fails. And therefore, the free market should come I back and right. fix that problem eventually uh, in the I end. Saw, I saw an article yesterday and it had something to do with that fact of let, let, let San Francisco die. Maybe that will bring it back. The problem with that kind of uh, uh, tough love, if you will, is there are people who can't leave here. I can't leave here right now. So there's a lot of people in the city who just don't have that ability. I think that's a very, I'm not saying you are. In general, I think that's a very liberal, elitist, privileged thing to say. Let it die. Yeah, let it die, it'll come back. But there are people who will die along with it who don't deserve to. And I think that that's the problem with that nihilistic thing of just letting the free market play out. You know, let this let the city die. hit rock. You know, they say about people like are they addicts hit rock bottom. It's tough love, but I don't think it works when you have hundreds of thousands of people who just can't leave and have to deal with that dying flower and deal with that dying city and live in it. And where are the jobs? 
Where's the money to live? Where's, where's the quality of life? Where's anything? You know, where's safety for those people? I think, you, I, I think the only real answer is the real uh, libertarian answer of if you, if you live on the streets, you're living on the streets I pay for, you're going to do as I say. That's the way it goes. You know, this is not like I'm living on the streets. I'm free. I can do whatever the fuck I want. I can piss in the street. I can shit in the street. I can mal- I can uh, accost someone if I have a schizophrenic. I, I, you know, I can do whatever I want because I live on the streets. I'm free, baby. I'm free. That's the way a lot of them feel. But that's not the way it goes in a civilized society. At some point, you have to say, no, no. The streets, did not, people, did, the streets, the streets aren't free to live on. They're did not people free. say that about the collapse of Detroit? Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what the situation in Detroit's in now, but God, oh my God, was it a disaster for so long. I mean, it was a disaster. I mean, it wasn't like one of those things, Gator, where a couple of years being at rock bottom lifted it back up to the prosperity days of the Ford, you know, the car industry days. It was, just, it, it was really bad for a long time. I'm sure it's still not great. You know, when I was there, I was in Detroit in 1989, I think 89. I was 18 years old. 18? Yeah. I was 18 years old. And I wanted to go to the Tigers, see the Yankees play the Detroit Tigers in the old Tiger Stadium. And I stayed in the only one area at the time. Maybe it's still that way. I haven't been to Detroit since. There's one area right across from Windsor, Ontario, which is like a strip of like hotels and restaurants. And that was the only place you could actually stay. The rest of the city was like post-apocalyptic. You couldn't take public transportation. I remember staying there and it was like a 10, 15 minute walk to the ballpark. And I'm walking out of the hotel, and the concierge says, where are you going? I'm my Yankee. I said, where's the game? He goes, well, you're not walking. I said, sure, of course I am. It's 10 minutes away. He goes, no, I'm calling you a cab. This is before Uber and Lyft. And I said, what are you talking about? I can see it. It's 10 minutes that way down that street. He goes, yeah, but you're not doing it. You're not going to make it. This, that's how bad it was in the daytime. That's how bad it was. And do people in San Francisco need to see that, need their city to become that? I don't know, but – I I don't want to go down with it. I, I don't want to go down with the ship. Uh, it's not my fault. You know, I'm not the captain here going down with the ship, going down with the plane. We'll talk about that in a second when I review the film plane. But uh, it's, uh, it, it's, it's, you can't say that. You can't just come out and say, let it die, and it will eventually naturally rebuild through the free market. I, 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 don't, think, I don't think that's the answer. I don't think that's the answer. It may be what ends up happening. But I, I don't think it's a positive thing that we should – I don't think it's something we should root for or plan for. That's all I'm saying. Okay. Well, I'll, I'll end on this question, though. Go ahead. Go ahead. If, if, if you, as a continental you know, con, you know, a nation, have multiple examples of recent historical examples of, of, of a metropolitan failure, which basically follow probably two or three patterns, and you can't learn from those – mistakes in, in, in inside a single generation's lifetime, then why should, to be honest, what do you deserve? Um, that's a tough question. I don't know how to answer it, really. I, I think we all, I think we all, as human beings, we all deserve a, a, to live in a civilized society where we don't have to worry about our safety. But, but your entire philosophy in America is not built upon that principle, is it? I don't know if you. <laughs> I don't know how you can say that. Pure, pure capitalism in the free market, even though that isn't really what exists in America, right? right. And the idea of neoliberal laissez-faire economics 
argues that that isn't true. Nobody deserves anything unless they can fucking pay for it. And the, the one of the arguments is that democracy is the most communist philosophy because it's one person, one vote, no matter how rich or poor you are, you've yeah. all got the equal power at the ballot box, which is the direct offset to capitalism, which is the more dollars you have, the more powerful you are, irrespective, right? And those yeah. kind of things are two, yeah. two pseudo-counterbalancing situations, except the reality is that capital has subverted democracy far and away. So that, so that the true reality is that you get what you can pay for. And if you can't pay for stuff, fuck off. That's basically how I, how I interpret the policy generally of the American dream, right? So you can't argue, if that's reasonable, a reasonable summation, you can't argue that anyone in America has the right to shit unless they can pay for it. Because you technically don't even really want to embrace social welfare, right? And you, what you call socialism is nothing of the sort. Right? And what your society shuts down as attempts at socialism is nothing of the sort. You don't have a left, right? Even leftists, right, who were marketed as leftists aren't left by anyone's standards, even by the UK standards, right? If you compare Bernie Sanders to Jeremy Corbyn, Jeremy Corbyn might as well be Stalin, right? He's not by any stretch of the imagination, but by comparison to the US, he is, right? And on that basis, I would say that the entire notion that kind of you're talking about doesn't even exist. And if it doesn't exist, you can't, you have to modify your expectations. But if what you were saying is true, there might be a shred of, but there's, some, there's, some, there's definitely some truth to it. Why are cities that are run by more conservative people, Republicans, conservatives, why are they in so much better shape? Why, in other words, if what you were saying is true about yeah. America, why aren't all cities across the board like this? Do they not have capitalism in Nashville? Do they not yeah. have capitalism in Salt Lake City? Do they not have capitalism in Sioux Falls? Do they not have capitalism in, 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 in uh, you know, Monta Billings, Montana? Do they not have capitalism in the cities of South Carolina? Do they have not, do they have cap, you know, I can go on and on and on. Yeah, I so, mean, it, 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 may, it may well be an ag aggregation of several factors. So it could be, it could be, um, a general history of better fiscal management, right? Where they're also perhaps not dealing with um, one of the big problems for city financing that I understand is the secret uh, banking deals that they've done, which have massive interest kickbacks to the private banks, which suck money out of the system um, and cause, you know, problems with the pension funds and all these sorts of things, which then creates a, a, a feedback loop of sucking money down holes that don't need to exist and then there's probably corruption mismanagement poor um political financial awareness of a particular ruling class but also at the same time ignorance amongst its voting population inability to control things or access for accountability or just a complete fundamental at some point somebody's abandoned notions of um maybe social provision standards in, in, a, in, a, in a city or whatever. I mean, it happens in Britain all the time. You always get peddled the notion that something becomes unaffordable. The NHS is a perfect example of this, right? It's a deliberate strategy and, and you can apply this strategy to everything. You can, you can do this to everything in a city. If you want to privatize something, the first thing you do is break it deliberately. And then you'd say, see, the model of whatever it's being run by doesn't work. And the only answer is this private model that we want to instill. 
You break it first and then you tell people there's only one solution. That's exactly what's happening with the NHS. When you look at the NHS, why is it broken? It's broken because private money has been used to secretly fund everything at really high hidden costs with massive interest payments, right? So that it becomes unaffordable, guaranteed unaffordable over a certain period of time. And if you get into that and look at the service provisions inside a city, then you go, why the fuck is it costing four times as much to pick up the garbage now than it did 20 years ago, mm -hmm. right? Even when in real terms, right? And you're going, well, that's because somebody's fucking chiseling away at the, at the garbage service. And then you look at every other service and it's basically all being hollowed out. Th those are some of the things that can, and the failure to control those things, which can rapidly rob a city or, or any system of the ability to fund anything meaningful because you've basically just let shysters and chiselers in, in collusion with a ruling elite to hollow out a, a, a city. And then that ruling elite fucks off because they've finished the terms, they've taken all the money and they've done all the deals and then leave the shit for other people to, to deal with. And it's the, one of the only differences is whether a city ever had people who did those deals, you know, for example, and then end up dealing with the aftermath. So it could be, some, it could be all sorts of reasons, but, you know, I would say if you want to, if you want to try and bring the national, if you want to make California Nashville, you have to understand what Nashville is and the difference between that and California. If you don't understand that, you can't have Nashville where you live, right? And that's part of your job as a, as a disgruntled citizen is to find out how to, what to demand of your next leaders. Yes, absolutely. Uh, on that note, I'll let you go. But you know, <laughs> cool. it's a good point. <laughs> you know, it's um, you know. I think that you know. It, 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 yes, there. Are, yes, it's not as easy, it's not as simplistic as you know. You elect someone, and they have a better. You know, you elect me. Let's say you elect me. You know how I feel about this. You know what I'm going to try to do, right? And it happens. Obviously not. Obviously not. That's what politicians always, always, always uh, promise, right? If you elect me. This will happen and this will happen the day I come the day. And this is what we talked about from Gavin Newsom 10 years ago in 2008, saying by 2018, there'd be no more homeless in San Francisco. Right. This is what he promised as as as, as mayor. Right. And it didn't happen. And remember, his reasoning in 2008, when he said homelessness would be gone in 10 years, was housing. That was his whole thing. The homeless need housing. We're going to build housing and put them in housing. And of course, that never worked. That never worked. The homeless population exploded. First of all, there wasn't enough places to put them. How much money was going to cost to, to build these places? And also the fact that a lot of them don't want. They don't want it. They don't want housing. That was the problem. That was the problem with the liberal mentality, too, which is that all homeless people, all they want is a home. And they all want a home. And then they went, <laughs> then they went, they took power and they sent their people, their minions into the streets. And these homeless people were like, go fuck yourself. Leave us alone. Then what? So that was not, that's the, because that's the bleeding heart, liberal, no common sense thinking of all they want is a home. That's all they want is a home. They own it. And they don't either want it or they go into it. And a couple of weeks later, the thing is destroyed. So that wasn't the answer. But he thought it was the answer. That was, the, that's what, that was his big plan, Gavin Newsom's big plan. Of course, the guy's always full of big plans. 10 years to get rid of homeless, 15 days to flatten the curve, they never work because there's no real uncommon sense to them. There's no real, uh, uh, there's, there's nothing real about them that will work, right? It's all this, these ideas of this liberal utopia, right? This liberal utopia. Just give the homeless a home. 
Sounds easy. Sounds simple. No, doesn't work. Simply, simply didn't work. So that was the end of that. And homelessness did not, obviously did not go away in 10 years. It's gotten so much worse in 10 years. It got so much worse. It, it, it really exploded when he was the mayor. And he promised the opposite. So, but until liberals can really get through their thick skulls, which they can't because they love virtue signaling so much, that these things they believe work don't work. These are not real world answers. These are not real re- realistic answers to a situation. We're going to continue to get, the bottom line is, we're going to continue to get people taking things into their own hands. That's what's going to happen. That idiot London Breed said this wasn't the answer. She wasn't the, it's not the answer. Yes, I understand the frustration. Typical politician answer. I understand the frustration, but it's not the answer to spray the person with water. That's not the answer. Well, it was certainly the fucking answer for this guy because it would get the person to leave, which is what he wanted. And he tried to do through the channels the city offers and didn't work. And so more and more people are going to take things into their own hands. And then we're going to have a really, a really rough society, a really rough civilization. Do you want, you know, a city of, of Travis Bickles? That's what's going to happen eventually. People are going to say, we've had enough of the taxi driver, by the way, if you don't get the reference. People ha- that just had enough. They've been pushed to their breaking point because the leadership is so ineffectual. All right. Speaking of ineffectual leadership, we're going to talk about now of effectual leadership. How about this transition? Uh, and I only have one movie to so stick with me. I only have one movie to review. It's called Plane. But, you know, I can't review the movie until I call in. Uh, Johnny, John Williams. John, come over here, John. John, you got your everyone's everyone ready to go, John? You got everyone ready to go for me? I know it's a little bit later. Gator spoke so much that it's just kidding. That went long, but here we go, John. Working overtime. All right, John. That's enough. Got to get to the review. Okay, so plane, plane. It's an action film. It's a, and let me tell you something. I didn't expect this film to be as good as it was. I really didn't. I expected a, a run. You know, I think you've seen the trailers. It's a pilot played by Gerard Butler uh, of an airline, and they're going into bad weather, and they have to do a crash landing, and they end up in, like, this island uh, that's run by these rebels <laughs> outside the Philippines. And they're so bad, these rebels. It's such, a, it's such a strong rebel army. They often take people hostage, right, and they kill them if they don't get the money, so on and so forth. And the Philippine army has been defeated so many times that they don't go in. So these poor people who end up on this, it's a, a sparse, it's a plane that takes place, that takes off on New Year's Eve. So there's only like 12, 15 people on it. Of course, that needs to be the case because the film can't deal with more people than that. <laughs> As the film goes on, I'll tell you why. So this is a sparsely populated plane, but there's one very important person on that plane, and that's a, uh, a, a prisoner a prisoner played by Mike Coulter. And he plays a prisoner who's being transported to Tokyo, where the plane is supposed to be going for New Year's Eve. But of course, it crash lands on this island. And now these, these uh, people, including this ex-con, 
uh, this prisoner is also at the at the mercy of these mercenaries who want to take them hostage, uh, and uh, and uh, and get money from their the governments from wherever the people are from. Uh, and of course, Gerard Butler, the pilot, is almost like uh, I say, Sully on steroids, Sully with muscles, basically. <laughs> and he and Mike Coulter, the prisoner, get together and decide that they're going to take on these rebels and uh, protect. Of course, you know, as 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 the as the uh, Gerard Butler, the, the the pilot says, it's his job to protect his passengers, and so they they take on this this rebel army. Um, with the help a little bit of the the airline sends in some people who are going to help them, uh, a few guys who are uh, 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 army types who are going to you know help them defeat these rebels and get everyone back to safety, um, and so the action basically takes place. There 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 are three specific phases to the action. First is the initial plane crash, which is well shot, but nothing special because the film is not really about a plane crash, right? It's about what happens once they're on this desolate, on this island where these mercenaries want to kill them. And so most of the action takes place there, but it's incredibly well-directed, well-choreographed, taut, exciting, tense action directed by Jean-Francois Richet. And he, uh, (laughs) <laughs> he, he, he he shoots the action in such a um, uh, he, he, he shoots it in a lot of close-ups where you really feel like you're part of the action you really feel like you're there with these people on this desolate on this island where these mercenaries want to kill them and it's incredibly fast-paced it's incredibly fast-paced there's really no time to think about how two guys uh, you know a pilot and this uh, this uh, con can take on all these people can take on this militia this army but it's so well directed and so taut and so intense that it actually works um it's basically an hour and 45 minutes of incredibly well shot action scenes and just very well paced very tense very taut uh there's also an appearance by an actor i haven't seen in a while um tony goldwin remember tony goldwin maybe he was in ghosts Tony Goldman, who was really big in the 80s and 90s, he, he plays um, Scarsdale. He's one of the airline representatives. And so they, they, they cut back and forth between Scarsdale and the executives of the airline trying to figure out how to get these people out of there safely and, of course, the action that's going on on that island. Um, a big part of why the reason the movie works is Gerard Butler is really fantastic. He really is. And, and so is Mike Coulter as the, as the prisoner. They really work together, kind of like what was that? What was the movie, The Fugitive Kind? Right? It's 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 basically you know the pilot and this, uh, and of course my the pilot uh, Brody Torrance, by the way, Torrance, the same last name as Jack Nicholson had in The Shining. Um, they have, they're they're a great team, and of course the the part you know Brody the pilot gets to know the the prisoner and realizes that you know he was really framed. He didn't really do what he did. You know he supposedly you know killed someone 15 years ago, but he was set up. It really didn't happen. And he's actually a great guy. And of course, a superhero, just like Gerard Butler is. So they team up, they take on this army. Um, and uh, like I said, you get the, the, the plane crash the beginning, the middle sequence where, of course, they're taking on these rebels. And then once again, another plane sequence at the end where he has to get on that plane, bring everyone back on the plane and try to get them to a safe place where they can finally be rescued by the Philippine army. So... It's really worth it. I mean, I, I found myself engrossed for an hour and 45 minutes. Like I say, really well-directed, intense action sequences and perfectly paced, 
And, you know, Gerard Butler makes a great heroic, you know, Liam Neeson type performance, I guess you could say. Um, like I said, basically like, like Sully with muscles. That's what I like to call him. Uh, directed by Jean-Francois Richet. It's called Plane. And if you're into really intense action films with great action sequences that keep you on the edge of your seat, uh, this is the one you should see. It's worth seeing. Okay, so I think, let me, you know what, maybe we'll get John. John, do you have a few more minutes? Can you do an outro for me? Yeah, okay. Thank you, John Williams and the Boston Pops. Who's going to pay for his overtime? I think I'm going to have Gator pay for his overtime. Uh, okay, so that's the end of a nice week, folks. It was a really good week of shows. What do we have? We had everything happening again this week. Right? We had more Twitter dumps. We had the Biden documents all over the place. You know, we we had the uh, a couple a, victor, a victory in a couple of ways with COVID, with the Children's Defense Fund getting the vaccine, the healthcare worker vaccine mandate uh, eliminated in New York. Uh, we have the uh, CDC finally having to at least begin to admit there might be some kind of a problem, might might be some kind of a problem with the jab. Wasn't that a movie? It was Problem with the Curve. We should, we should, we should write a movie called Problem with the Jab. Um, and so we'll see where that goes next week. All right. I want to remind everyone, the name of the show is Unless Be Heard. It airs Monday night through Friday night. That's, I believe, five days a week. 11 p.m. Pacific. 2 a.m. Eastern. And if you're Gator or anyone else on the other side of the pond, it begins, I believe, right around breakfast time at 7 a.m. I'm Micah Chopley, once again, reminding you that your influence counts.